house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Welcome to the This Had Oscar Bus podcast, the only podcast asking, what about Gilda? What about Pariah? What about uh, Rooney, um, Michelle, Michelle? Nobody talks about how she says Michelle twice. She definitely says Michelle twice. It's absolutely a thing. Also, nobody talks about how Harvey Weinstein brings her her glasses in that segment. We don't want to talk about that. Mm -mm. When I tweeted you that on your birthday and you were like passes you your glasses i was like please don't do that please don't compare yourself to that horrible man anyway welcome to our podcast (laughs) welcome to our podcast uh every week on this had oscar buzz we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty academy award aspirations but for some reason or another it all went wrong the oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy except this week we are not talking about a movie that once had oscar buzz we are doing a special mailbag episode we are the corpse that is being carved up for you all today yes we are flaying ourselves for you um it's all the Answers you could ever want. Yes, it's like Midsommar um, meets <laughs> right. uh, Lars von Trier's um, uh, Antichrist. Chris, are you meets... still at Midsommar from yesterday, going to see? I the am. Director's I cut? saw the director's cut. I literally like had to like run here because it was twelve hours long. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Every moment uh, precious. Uh, you know what? Honestly, like truly, the um, the theatrical cut is significantly better. Really? Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we don't I have mean, to get into it. It doesn't surprise it's... me. I think this this idea that like director's cuts are that was a very 90s notion, I feel like, that the that you had to see the director's cut because that was the original director's vision and you weren't seeing yeah. the real film. And like I think the director's cuts of or at least that first big one of Blade Runner kind of established that as yeah. like a thing because it is so yes. like remarkably better. Yeah. Um and but I, no, I have... the Midsommar director's cut, it doesn't trust the audience as much. I think mm-hmm. it loses some of the atmosphere because it underlines so many things, yeah. whereas I think a lot of that information in the theatrical cut is kind of on the periphery, and you have to make some inferences that make it kind of um, yeah. a little bit more mythic in a way. It makes it the fairy tale aspect of it feel really more pronounced. Yeah. Um, but this is not a Midsommar podcast. This is This Had Oscar Buzz. I am your host, Chris File, and we are he- I am here, as always, with my co-host, Joe Reed. Hello, everybody. I've been talking Hi. already. We're really excited to do this episode. Yes. Yeah, we really Assembling have. We've been like, preparing for questions. this one for a while. We've been I know. squirreling away your questions in a little uh, Google Doc. Exactly. And we are, it was so like wonderful also. Like, so we should start the episode by saying thank you so much. Like, even Seriously. along with the questions, everybody was so sweet in all of their feedback. Um, we have some very, so thank very you great guys. listeners. Not to like kiss your asses or anything like that, but like, whatever. You're already listening. So we've already got you. But like, no, we really do like and appreciate all of you. So, and we appreciate all of your kindnesses and your stories. We got like your I stories. Think one of my... I don't want to hear more of your stories. Oh, no. One of your stories. I don't know if I want to hear one of your stories. 
uh, and also the children. Um, <laughs> our children, our listeners. Um, you guys, thank you so much. You, We got in way, way, way more questions than we could ever fill yeah. in a single episode. Um, but they were all wonderful. So thank you all for being so uh, generous with your kindnesses and your questions. Sorry that we can't get to all of them. Um, but we'll do, we'll, but, after this response, we're definitely going to do another mailbag at some point. So, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Persist. We'll be doing more of this in the future. So yeah. uh, keep those questions in the back of your mind, and we will let you know when we are fielding more questions. Right. However, we're going to start the top of this episode with a few questions that we got actually quite a bit. Um, and one question that we get often. Um, throughout, I think as we gain new listeners, because we explained we, this very early in the podcast, very time. early. Yeah. Um, and sometimes on Twitter, I try to tell people, go back to our Ask the Dust episode to like make sure that people go back to <laughs> and old they're episodes. like, excuse you, ask the what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, what is that? Yeah. Um, it, it, was that autocorrected? <laughs> right. What are you trying to say? To I me? think I don't ask think that's a dust. movie. Yeah. Um, but the question is, what is our intro music, and what's the deal with Canada Water? I love this question. Do you want to take I, half I, of it, and I'll take half of it? What's our intro yes. music, Chris? You... Okay, our intro music, back in the day when I like garage banded together our intro music. It's actually Hot Chocolates, Everyone's a Winner, which friend, uh, fans of Francis Ha will note. Um, Indeed. It, as like the Paris sequence um, so like it has like kind of a schadenfreude aspect to the song choice but also it opens with the clip of Catherine O'Hara from For Your Consideration and after she doesn't get the Oscar nomination right Fred Willard shows up on her lawn and is looking to interview her and this by this point she's become this like grotesque parody of Hollywood actresses and she's like boozed out and drunk on her lawn and and she says i didn't get nominated and he like follows it up with a question we're here with marilyn hack right marilyn hack is her character's name so yeah so that little bit is a clip from for your consideration which obviously thematically appropriate and the part that so i had originally i was like we had sort of divided up duties between Chris and I when we were when we were putting the initial pitch for this podcast together, and I did some some stuff, and I set up a couple things, and I was like, Chris, why don't you handle intro music? And he got the Hot Chocolate song, and then he added, I think it was my idea to add the clip from For Your Consideration, and I was like, perfect, we'll do the song, yes. and the clip from For Your Consideration, and so I'm listening to, Chris is like, I've got it, like, here, take a listen, This is, and I'm listening to it, and from out of nowhere comes the uh, the dulcet tones of Salma Hayek, brusquely breeze, breezing past foreign language film nominee Water, and when when reading the nominations, the 2006 foreign language film nominations, and I about <laughs> shit my brain out my head. Like it was, I was I so giggle happy thinking about this it. moment. Explain to the listeners what Salma Hayek saying and from Canada Water is. Okay, so this was one of those, like, you know how you have, like, those Oscar clips on YouTube that you pass around to your friends and they become sort of, like, inside jokes? This had become one with, like, me and Chris and a few of, like, our, like, whatever, Oscar fags on Twitter, who we love dearly. Um, but this was the, the reading of the nominations, which used to be a lot less of this, like, home video project that we do now where like it goes on YouTube and it's this It's very, very produced. It's very now. produced now. It used to just be the president of the Academy and an actress, usually in a past Oscar nominee, but not always. 
would show up in front of a podium at the butt crack of dawn in LA and read off the nominations and a bunch of like gathered press would like gasp and and react in their little ways and it would be done in you know 10 minutes and it was over and they were in front of this bank of video screens and that's the way it was done when I was growing up and so that's the way it always should be done and any variation from that is wrong <laughs> and so this particular year was the year of the three amigos which was Bene uh, Benicio uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu and Alfonso Cuarón all had these big uh, buzzed about movies. It was Babel and Children of Men and Pan's Labyrinth, and they were all Oscar contenders. And so I think the choice to have Selma Hayek there was a nod to that, and she's this, you know, very famous Mexican actress, and she's a very much like a partisan for Mexican film. And so there had been a thing a few years ago at the Oscars where like the crime of Father Amaro didn't win Best Foreign Language Film, and you could tell she was not happy about it. So like already Salma has this like reputation for being like a a huge homer with no poker face, which God bless her for it. And so they're reading the nominees for 2006, and already they had done. Um, when did she start breaking down for Babel? It was that during the screenplay nominations. At that point, I don't remember because oh, in the no, YouTube you know clip she had I already always done, jumped to foreign language. Right, film. she had already done Best Actress, which included Penelope Cruz for Volver. And when the Academy president read Penelope Cruz's name, just one of her name, close friends, right? Her like, yeah, her like total bestie or whatever. She like full double arm fist pumps and is like, yes, and it's just like, oh, okay, this is the game that Salma's playing today, which is, I have my faves and y'all are gonna know about it, and that's again why we love her. So then they get to foreign language film, and this is the one that Pan's Labyrinth was the big contender in. And so it's like... For best foreign film language, we have... From Denmark, from Denmark After the Wedding. From Algeria, Days of Glory. From Germany, The Lives of Others. From Mexico, Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> I'm from Canada water. The 100 to 0 yes meter is so strong and it's so funny. It's it's the greatest. And so Chris in his infinite wisdom added that in as and I think it's a good it's a good little primer for what this podcast gives you gives you which is an insider enthusiast's perspective of like we we appreciate if you appreciate a moment like Salma Hayek downshifting into deadpan for and from Canada water, you will appreciate our podcast. So yes. go find the clip. It is available. I on will YouTube. put it on the Tumblr post. Chris for will this put it on the Tumblr episode. post. It is worth visiting and revisiting. It's one of the great moments of Oscar ephemera, I think. So that is what Canada Water is all about. Our The next biggest question, which we've maybe even gotten more specifically as a request for this mailback episode, is if we would do a movie before the 90s. Even some people were requesting things back into the 60s and 70s, which I think... At some point, I, we definitely have thrown around a few titles, and I think there's one that we definitely should do. But What's the one you think we I, should definitely do? Uh, and a reader even brought this one up. Uh, we've talked about this bonfire of the vanities, right? Which is still nineties. It's not. That's uh, exactly ninety. Uh, it's early nineties, right? right? Yeah, late eighties, something like that. Right before um, the nineties is when I, it gets tough because a lot of what we talk about in terms of Oscar buzz is like institutional memory and remembered stuff from like when we were in the thick of it. And unless, but Oscar history is also different 
post Miramax. And like it's unfortunate because to talk about that because you have to talk about Harvey Weinstein, but I think the type of Oscar race mentality, such as it is and such as we realize as like being its own thing, separate from box office, separate yes. from like any other cultural significance of like movies being promoted exclusively through this avenue yeah. is an advent of Harvey Weinstein and Miramax in the 90s. So it is tougher to talk about. Yes. I think ideally, if we can find something that's a perfect fit for that, I think we would do it as an experiment, if nothing else. But Mm -hmm. I think the kind of Oscar campaigning and the kind of expectation game that we're talking about is a little bit of a uniquely 1990s and beyond phenomenon. But right. you never know. Well, and I it's also a little, like, when you talk about Oscar history, like, it was a little bit more organic. Um, even something, like, I always think of, like, Kramer versus Kramer right. as the example. Right. Where it's like, today, that would absolutely be positioned as an Oscar movie. Yeah. But, like, back in the 70s, it was just a movie and like it had prestigious people involved it was released at a time that like people went and like saw it in droves i think that was like even a christmas movie at its time but like even like its box office came after the oscars because movies stayed in theaters longer so it's like and then the longer you go back also it's like oscar buzz wasn't really a thing because if you were being buzzed for Oscar, it meant your studio was pushing you for an Oscar, which meant you were probably going to get nominated because mm-hmm. the studios had a lot more control back then. But if you do stuff like read Mark Harris's book, Pictures at a Revolution, which is a great uh, encapsulation of a year in film viewed through the lens of that year's Oscar race. And that one, you're not going to find a whole lot of you know, failed buzz because it focuses on the five eventual Best Picture nominees. But it's also, it gives you a sense of what did, you know, what films were talked about with these expectations in mind towards the end. And some did better and some did worse, but it's harder to find buzzed about films that got nothing. Mm -hmm. Because I think the studios were better at getting their films something. Like even Cleopatra, right. you know what I mean? This like legendary disaster of a movie. Cleopatra got nominated. You know what I mean? There's literally a movie called The Oscar about trying to get someone an Oscar, and it is an Oscar nominee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yes. So that's it. That's why it's a little tricky to do things past the 90s. And I think even doing episodes in the 90s while we love them specifically Mm. it is a little harder and like the well is not as deep so like we try to do those a little sparingly yeah but we know that you guys like those episodes so we will keep doing them just not all as regular um and the other question that we get a lot is what 2019 films do you think will be eventual Thob titles? We always get on Twitter, too, like whenever a new trailer comes out, people are like, oh, the I can't wait for the this had Oscar buzz episode on this, right. which is always so sweet um, right. and funny. And like sometimes we think those things in our head, too. I think you and I, Joe, are try to be a little bit more optimistic. Oh, always. Slash always. cynical. <laughs> Like, I was so convinced all along last year that Boy Erased would only get an Oscar nomination for its song. Yeah. So, like, there's always cases like that where it could show up in a random craft category or, like, 
you can get Michael Shannon out of nowhere for Nocturnal Animals nominated. Sure, yes. So, like, some of it is we're trying to prevent having egg on our face. I think some and stuff... Some of it is we just try to be optimistic. I think some stuff that we can say that has already opened in 2019 that is a pretty good bet for this had Oscar buzz eligibility would be something like The Upside, which, by the way, has made $108 million $100 domestic. $100 million but is so shocking. but is not going to get nominated for any Oscars. I can like I can stake my reputation on that. I will say that. I I will stake my reputation on something else that hasn't opened and that and it opens in October. Uh-oh. The Current War. Oh god, yes. It is finally That's opening. Right. That's right. That is not happening. Right, exactly. I, like that Tulip... is the one that I will stake my claim that that is not happening. Tulip Fever you know, 2 and... Electric to to blue, I don't <laughs> truly know. electric boogaloo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that angle of it. Yeah. Um, the, the original yeah, electric we'll boogaloo, see, like the Tesla coil. <laughs> and I think this is the time of year when this episode airs because this will be in the middle of Toronto, and some things will debut, and naturally, some things will not do well. Yeah. All right, we are already way behind, so let's plow on <laughs> into. Our questions from the listeners, shall we? Yes. Our next question, which is also a a somewhat common question, or at least people asking for movies that we can't do because we try to stick to no nominations. Uh, Name three movies that you wish we could discuss uh, for the podcast, but can't because they have an Oscar nomination or win. That question is from John. I have so many answers for this. There's a lot of answers for this. I get this question a lot. Also, I often forget what movies have gotten like a straight usually here are the two minefield categories for this kind of a movie it's original score and it's thank you thomas newman right yes whereas like a movie can have fully bombed as an oscar player and still salvage a nomination in score or costumes because the oscars because they have a score by john williams or thomas newman or costumes by uh sandy powell or you know whoever and Jacqueline Duran. Yeah, exactly. Jacqueline Duran. Colleen Atwood. Um, God, Colleen Atwood's the most for that, where it's just like, really? Fantastic Beasts? Okay. Um, so my top and three... one for that girl. My t- I know. My top answer for this is always Charlie Wilson's War. I want to do... And we're... And you know what, again, once again, we'll end up doing a series on, you know, asterisk movies or exceptions or however you want to call them, because I, I we need to do one on Charlie Wilson's War. It has everything. It was the number one... Uh, top front runner at the beginning of that year it was the best movie on paper you get to talk about aaron sorkin you get to talk about mike nichols it was mike nichols's last movie um you get to talk about hanks and julia roberts and um is it emily blunt who's in that one Mm. or amy adams now i'm looking at the cast list it is emily blunt sure at least she's Mm. in it rebecca hall might also be in it but emily blunt is definitely in this movie, along with Amy Adams. Wow. So the this is your proto-sunshine uh, cleaning, truly. This is... Rachel yeah. Rachel Nichols, maybe? Is that who you're thinking of? Maybe? I don't know. Anyway, um, there's a lot... There's a lot of angles to this one. Again, I think just from the Sorkin and Nichols angle, I think it's an interesting movie, but that's my number one. I absolutely... I'm itching to do an episode on Charlie Wilson's War, so we will find a way to do it. I don't know if I have a number one. 
Well, the person asked, John asked for three. I have three, I, but I'll let you go. With I tend to throw out like things that do have, I tend to be drawn to the ones that have those score or costume nominations. Yeah. So I would say my three are Angela's Ashes. Mm-hmm. It's a great one. Saving Mr. Banks. Yep. Another one. I would Hanks. love to be able to talk about Emma, Emma Thompson mm-hmm. doing something other than narrating a movie. Yep. And I think Beloved. Oh, I didn't put that on my list, but it should have been. That is absolutely one. I would love to do an episode on Beloved. There's Just so much because I need there. to rewatch that movie. It lets us um, talk about Demi again. It lets us talk about Oprah, which is an incredibly rich topic when it comes to the Oscars. I think that's mm-hmm. a fantastic, uh, you know. And there are other movies that we can talk about Oprah with, but like that movie was sold on Oprah. That's what I mean. Like yes. It was a moment in time, and it was, again, it was not just like, oh, maybe that'll be a contender. It was like, this year's Oscar movie is going to be beloved. Like, it was like, slam Mm -hmm. it down, people were certain. Yeah, that's a great one. My other ones are Toys, the Barry Levinson movie Toys, which I think got a costume nomination, and we could talk about the marketing campaign for that movie, which I think was, like, truly bizarre. That That was a movie... It was a very early movie in terms of just, like, I remember it being hyped and then it didn't go anywhere. And I was like, wait a second, what happened to that movie? That movie's insane. It also had that weird trailer where he's in the field that got parodied by The Simpsons. And there's just so much. And then The Last Samurai, because I want to be able to talk about Tom Cruise Oscar buzz movies. And there's fewer and fewer of them these days because he only makes action movies nowadays. But I think that's a perfect, perfect encapsulation of what it is. If we were ever going to do one that has... A ton of nominations. The I think The Last Samurai is a great example. Mm-hmm. I would also maybe say like again, there are other podcasts for that, but like Gangs of New York. Well, Gangs of New York is tough because that's ten nominations and including right. Best Picture. So like that's it's hard to make the case. But like it, other than Daniel Day Lewis, it by Oscar ceremony, it was like this is gonna get shut out. Well, and it did, and, and it, did. it also was. The gulf between expectation and outcome was pretty was pretty wide, which is like that's the real determining factor for us. It's just like what did what was expected for it and what did it end up getting. Um, we would have to put a pretty big big asterisk on a movie with ten nominations, yeah. though. But I hear you. And then if I'm going to throw pick, some money at us, maybe we'll do it for you. If I'm going to pick one movie that won an Oscar that I would still love to talk about anyway, it's Legends of the Fall, which won for cinematography. Yeah. but like yeah, that's that would another be my answer to that. Perfect, perfect. This had Oscar buzz movie with like you know uh it's this lush you know romance sweeping romance and it was brad pitt at the exact right time and anthony hopkins after his big uh oscar era and yeah 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 we will eventually get to that um but also from jason he asked have either of you ever seen the academy vhs release of their greatest hits called oscars greatest moments 1971 to 1991 hosted by former president and oscar winner carl malden joe i have did you watch those i have too my grandparents had this video and i can't imagine they had it for any reason that they like got it in a promotion with a magazine i think they might have subscribed to a magazine where that was like the free gift that they got because i can't imagine them like quite possible buying like it it. was a time life exactly i'm pretty sure that that's what it was and i watched it i remember it, it it i specifically remember that montage of acting wins from like 1990 up through the present that had but that had all the like classic oscar um this like the streaker 
with you know David Niven mentioning I was gonna the bring up shortcomings the and like those old you know classic Oscar clips that would get you know shown back again and again with you know um, Vanessa Redgrave with the Zionist hoodlums. Yes, Vanessa Redgrave with the Zionist hoodlums, which is like that is a thing I'll reference on Twitter every once in a while, and I'll be like, do people understand <laughs> this reference, or do they just think I'm talking about Zionist hoodlums? Like, am I on some like watch list somewhere because somebody doesn't know the 1977 Oscars where Vanessa Redgrave? You're gonna won? get added to Twitter lists for like problematic people so or something if, because they yeah. don't know the reference all 20 somethings listening who don't know what i'm talking about vanessa redgrave one supporting actress in 1977 for a movie called julia which was about um lillian hellman and uh dashiell hammett and uh you know anti-communist good movie or uh, uh, uh communists within the united states and and anti-communists in the government and yada 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 and so it was very political, and at the same time, there was a lot of sort of strife between Israel and Palestine in the Middle East, and Redgrave had run afoul of some Jewish groups for, she spoke at a thing for, like, a Palestinian activist or something, you know, something like that. And so she was getting protested by these Jewish activists. Uh, at the Oscar At the ceremony. Oscar ceremony. And so she made mention of that. That, you know, she won despite the fact that that, um, there was this protest against her. And she was sort of like, good on you, Academy members, for voting for me anyway. But she phrased it as... And I salute you, and I pay tribute to you, and I think you should be very proud that in the last few weeks you've stood firm and you have refused to be intimidated by the threats of a small bunch of Zionist hoodlums whose behaviour... Whose behavior is an insult to the stature of Jews all over the world and to their great and heroic record of struggle against fascism and oppression. And so she tried to like turn it into this like, you know, these people don't represent the good work of all Jewish people and we should fight anti Semitism everywhere and yada, yada, yada. But like they heard Zionist hoodlums and started booing her. And then later on, like in I that mean, Oscars. That's a pretty coded word. It is. Of course it is. There's a lot. I mean, Listen, this is not going to be the episode yes. where you and I delve into, you know, <laughs> the two-state solution problem. <laughs> um, if you want, like, that'll come later. No, uh, it won't. And But then, so, like, uh, two categories later or whatever, fucking Patty Shayevsky comes out to present an award and decides to, like, go off book and, like, upbraids Redgrave for talking about her own personal business or whatever at the Oscars and, and, you know, a simple thank you would have sufficed. And I think later, like Frank Sinatra made some comment about wanting to like, you know, smack her in the face or something like that. It was a whole fucking thing. And imagine Frank Sinatra I know, being a gross being man. a misogynist. Can't imagine. So anyway, right. if I ever mention Zionist hoodlums on Twitter, that's the joke. And uh, that's, you know, don't fucking but these videos were hosted by carl malden yes underrated american dad like yes mr rogers tom hanks level cuddliness love carl malden and he was also the president of the academy for a long time so a lot for a long time those oscar nomination press conferences was him as academy president and somebody else so in like a sweater vest and a collared shirt (laughs) and yes being lovely in a chair yeah but jason also asked why these haven't been updated in dvd and blu-ray and i'm positive that's because the academy has essentially released most of their at least 
This is the thing that I wish they would do more of on YouTube because they've released a lot of the acceptance speeches on YouTube, but not like the stuff in the middle that like we love on this podcast. They cut out or like they uh, they also cut out all of the clips for rights reasons, yeah, which for, like I get yeah, it, but like copyright. Make the effort. I will say that I want the Academy to do more actual curation. Uh, and don't just, like, throw everything up and take out the copyrighted parts or whatever. But, like, actually curate these things into playlists and into video essays. And if they need a volunteer to delve through all of those years of Oscar history and make some sense We of are it, incredibly high. We are very available. Just so you know. Very <laughs> available. Okay. All right. Our next question comes from Chris Perkins, who asks, are there any other award shows, i.e. Grammys, Tonys, Emmys, who we feel elicits just as much or even more pre-buzz than the Oscars? What do you think, Chris? I think no. I think here's the thing. The Grammys are their own weird thing, and they chase money probably more than any awards body out right. there. It's They're more of a concert the these days anyway than an actual... Exactly. Yeah. The Tonys, you're talking about a very limited field. Um... Though, like, you can see the type of thing, the way that the theater schedule is stacked, like, it will probably be a Tony contender because it opens in right, April. Right. Um, the Emmys, it feels like, has a really, in the past, like, five, maybe ten years is really building, like, its awards infrastructure as far as campaigning goes mm-hmm. and the amount of money that is spent to get people Emmys. But it's not like it's ever a package from the beginning, for a TV show to win Emmys, right? And I think the other thing about the Emmys is that it doesn't, it's not a calendar year. I think the Grammys, like, does this too, where it's like, it's much easier to track a year's worth of buzz for an awards is if you are based on the calendar year. And I know the Oscars sort of futzes it with, like, year-end qualifying releases and whatever, but, like, the fact that the Emmys calendar goes from June 1st to May 31st makes it really, really hard to be like, oh, remember such-and-such's performance in 2006? And it's like, oh. I think that's why Glow got screwed over this year. Yeah. Well, and it also just, like, and it, yeah. But it's also just in terms of, like, it's hard to tell. As, a, as a, you know, artifact object. I think the Tonys come closest it's just on a much much yeah. smaller scale but i think you're right like, and that's because like it does have kind of a clearly defined schedule and things are very backloaded in the tony schedule the tony's is the only one where i'll talk to my my theater expert friends and i'll be like all right what are the t- big tony shows for this year what's going to open late what are what's the buzz who's getting you know who's getting lead versus featured buzz what's happening and like it all happens on such a small scale that it feels more um insidery but mm-hmm. in that way like oscar can feel that way too and there are there are tendencies that are like you know the voters go for this kind of thing but not that kind of thing and such and such has been campaigning really heavily behind the scenes and yeah i think the tonys are the tonys are the only other ones that i tr- like to follow and like to try and predict i think they're fun to predict this next one comes from timothy stevens who asks that he says, I assert that best original song is the category that most consistently gets it wrong, nominee wise. What say you? Agree, disagree, or have another worse category? Chris, I'm going to let you. As it. the world's preeminent best original song historian yes, and advocate, ma'am. I do think that the category gets 
so much of a bad rap, A, because of the Sam Smith year, which was legitimately <laughs> a, a terrible lineup. It got a bad rap for many years before Sam Smith, though, right? Sure, but I will always advocate for Best Original Song. I think in terms of getting it wrong, there's some weird stuff with that branch. They are not a very large branch. They have had campaign issues in terms of like look at alone yet not alone they're one of the more insular groups that like they push the limits of what is what is um you know viable campaigning and what is unfair and like what is voting for like your friends and known people Mm -hmm. they want things to play in context, so it's not as friendly as the category has been to, like, pop Explain songs. Explain play in context, because I don't know if everybody knows what that means. If you... Uh, something that would play in context has, like, narrative heft to it. So it's not just, like, a song tacked on the end credits or just playing over a scene. You want it to actually be somehow involved in the narrative. That definitely helps a movie get nominated. Mm. I think of something like um, Begin Again. I was um, just about to say begin again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and is it jumping ahead? Do we have another original song question or should I just get the, like, this year's? Get it all out here, babe. Do okay. it. We were, uh, we've also been asked about this year's original song race, so I guess this is a good time to talk about it. Um, I think that this could be a more famous original song year. Obviously, there's Beyonce out in front with... Um, the with spirit for the lion king right i'm sure frozen's gonna have a song i'm sure cats is gonna have an original song uh Pasek and paul have a i don't think terrible song in aladdin even though it's like in context of the movie it's kind of like what what is happening here but yeah. i think it is a the song Speechless from Aladdin, I think, is a good case example if it gets nominated that like this song plays in context it gives some like weight to Jasmine's narrative arc. Mm-hmm. That's what they at least say that they're looking yeah. for. <laughs> However, I think back to does it get a bad rap? I think at least for viewers at home, when there's all of these documentary songs that they've never heard of and they're not even putting them on the telecast, yeah. I think I think it's unfair to the artists, but you know, yeah, I think this is a very idiosyncratic group right now that is voting strangely. Yeah. But at the same time, it's essential to essential to the Oscars. It's yeah. it's one of the major crafts that are prevalent in movies. Right. It belongs on the ceremony. All right, a few things. A, I think Frozen 2 waits down the road like a behemoth, ready to crush everything. B, yeah. Uh, shout out to Matthew Huff, who had also asked the question that you alluded to about breaking down this year's best song race. Uh, he mm-hmm. had asked us to discuss Queen Beyonce's Oscar. Uh, Queen Beyonce's Oscar sounds like she's already won it, which I think she decidedly has not. Um, I, I don't think she's going to campaign. That's what that was my thing. I don't think she's going to campaign. Um, also, I don't think it's a good song. I'm sorry to say that. I don't. It's so listless. I don't. I'm very curious how. Disney is going to push the Lion King for Oscars. Like it could be smart of them to just push it for Tax. visual effects because maybe they could just win it Agreed. if they focus that campaign. Um, I, I mean, like as, as far as the song, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know how it plays. I think 
And maybe this is also true of Aladdin. I wonder how kind that branch is going to be to an original song from an already existing musical. Um, and they don't love that. An already existing lately. movie musical, yes. Because they do like yes, original songs that won from an stage Oscar. musical adaptations. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Also, so, my last thing that I'm going to ask you is, do we know the Hustlers situation? Is there an original Cardi B song? Okay, first of all, Cardi B does not really write most of her songs, but it is just genuinely my hope that there is an original Hustler song we will know at the point of this episode coming out, and that she does have a songwriting credit on because I love Oscar-winning songwriter Cardi B. I just, it will if you make want a moment, so if you want a moment, put that woman on stage is all I will say. So yes. I just love her. She's wonderful. She She is so pure and joyful and... Stands up for what she Listen, whatever. actresses, uh, I have a question. Okay, so wait a minute, actresses. So wait a minute, yeah. actresses. When y'all, be, when y'all be acting like y'all be fighting, y'all be really fighting? Yeah, well... Can we talk about how angry I am that that came out after we recorded the episode with Kevin from Miss Sloan? <laughs> That's true. Oh my! Listen, so infuriating. Oh, I can't, okay, I can't so imagine we'll have a whole lot on like, occasion to use the clip, wait a minute, actresses. No, that'll never So happen. wait a minute, actresses. Um, one thing I will say to put the pin in the original song conversation of a movie that I think could come back around, considering how much they already put themselves out there, I think Rocketman's closing credits song written by Elton John yeah. could be a major contender off of the simple factor that, like, I fully believe Elton John will be showing up to parties to sing that song. That's fair. Yeah. And campaigning that song. All right, let's do this in one. In a way that I do not believe that about Beyonce. Let's do this next one quickly, right off the top of our heads. Okay. What's the worst Best Picture winner ever? This is from Derek. Worst Best Picture winner ever. That you've ever seen. Let's let's limit that. It I've that I've ever seen. Oh, fuck it. Green Book. Okay, so I think that's what a lot of people are saying. I think A Beautiful Mind is worse than Green Book. That is the worst best I haven't... I I mean, I've seen it. I just don't have memory of it. That's fine. And I know that there's, like, older ones, like, a a lot of people hate around the world in 80 days. Right. Um, uh, I haven't seen it. All right. Cool. Next one. Next question. Uh, What are some of the strangest wins during awards season that never carried over into Oscar nominations? I think the one, this is from Jason, by the way. Um, This is from Jason, Jason. another Jason. The one that jumps into my mind immediately is Aaron Taylor Johnson winning the Golden Globe for Nocturnal Animals. That one's going to be the exception to the rule for years and years and years to come. Is that that, that strange, though? Because he also got a BAFTA nomination. I still think it's It's strange. It's strange that he won, but there is other major precursors for that one. Like... Mm. Okay. I, I fully understand that as an answer because I still don't think I've stopped laughing about it. Yeah. Like, it was so markedly wrong and just, like, Listen, fundamentally all about campaigning. You saw the man poop. I don't know what more you want from him. He wipes his ass in that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, boy. Um, I I have one that's maybe not major precursor. Yeah. Um, Jason that asked this question did give a great example of Bowling for Columbine winning at the Writers Guild. Yeah. Um, mine is the Los Angeles Critics Supporting Actress win for, I'm going to get the name wrong, Luminita Georgiou yep. for The Death of Mr. Lazarescu. Yep, yep. 
it always kind of like alternates between um is it the Film Critics Society of America? National, the, National Society of Film Critics. National Society of Film Critics and LA Critics always like to pull something like random out and it's usually like a foreign contender but those are the major well, those are major critics groups LA film critics went on a streak where like for like four or five years in a row they they're like their thing was their best actress winner was some off the trail usually foreign language um, they did before anybody ever heard of Vera Farmiga they did Vera Farmiga for that movie down to the bone which was mm-hmm. um that was that. Wait, who directed that? That was somebody. Deborah, is that Deborah Granick? Hold on. Uh, yes. Right. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, Deborah Granick. Yeah. Yes. So who listeners will know from Winter's Bone. Right, and from uh, Leave No Trace from last year, which was wonderful. Yeah, my couple are from New York Film Critics Circle, which also uh, had a couple thrown in there. The one that I remember the best, which is Lisa Kudrow for The Opposite of Sex, that sometimes fools me into thinking she was more part of that Oscar race than she was. I don't think mm-hmm. she was. I think it's just that she got this one from um, New York Film Critics. And then the most out-of-left-field one was 1996. They gave supporting actor to Harry Belafonte in Kansas City, the uh, the Robert Altman movie, Kansas City, that, like, I defy you to find two people who have seen Kansas City. But it's an interesting award. And as, as I'm always on the record for saying I like precursors to be as idiosyncratic as possible absolutely this is what critics groups are supposed to do they're not supposed to be predictive they're supposed to i think champion things and put things on our radar that you know that group truly does care about not be predictive of the oscars new york critics did it just a couple years ago with tiffany haddish absolutely and what it sometimes does is has the influence to maybe push it into the conversation, which I absolutely think they did with Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. Um, and she deserved to win. Yeah. Um, but this, the one for death of Mr. Lazarescu truly came out of nowhere yeah. for this actress. And then all of a sudden she starts showing up on everybody's predictions right. as like a long list possibility right. in like the, the, the Marina de Tavira of her day. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, you guys realize that the Academy is not watching this movie, right? right? Even though this one win happened. All right. Why don't you read but this Yeah, that's next what question. critics are supposed to do. Um, okay. Uh, can, from Alan Hatton, can you recommend some niche but interesting but not well known or most spoken about Oscar moments from the stage? My brain is Joe, nothing but one? a repository of these moments. I think I, we mentioned the. Uh, the Whoopi Goldberg topsy moment from the ninety from yes from the ninety eight Oscars semi recently that was also the Oscars where they came back from commercial and Kurt and Goldie Hawn hadn't made it back to their seats yet so they're like climbing over seat fillers to get to their seats in the middle of the row and Whoopi like calls them out from the stage and just sort of starts chatting with them that's super fun also I will always go for the stars of the First Wives Club speaking of Goldie Hawn the stars of the First Wives Club reading the best original song yes the best original song nominees in 1996 where they get into an argument Goldie and Bette Midler get into an argument over how best pronounced Barbara Streisand's last name from the mirror has two faces I finally found someone I love that God, I've known her for 25 years. 
whether it's Streisand or Streisand, and both of them get like Goldie's doing her like. Oh, that's the other. All right. So there's, sorry, this answer is going to get longer and longer the more I think of it, because there's also the moment, you can tell that Bette Midler is getting legitimately annoyed with Goldie, which reminds me of the moment at the 98 Oscars where Goldie and Steve Martin are presenting original screenplay. And so it's whatever, whatever. And then one of the nominees is Gods and Monsters, which wins. But so after they read the list of the nominees... And they show the little like clips from each one. They come back to Goldie and Steve, and she goes, I used to live in that house. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's amazing. I used to live in that house for 12 years. The, the man that was in the movie, I mean. Yes, yeah. the man who, you know, the. You well, know. you should get your own Oscar then. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, it's the... so weird, you know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, you go. May I go? Yeah. Okay. There's a moment of just pure hatred on his face for her, which, like, and I love her, so, like, she can do whatever she wants to as far as I'm concerned, but it's a fantastic moment. But my number one moment for this, which is one we'll never actually probably talk about because it's from the 70s, um, I can't remember who she's presenting with, but it's Cher during her, like, the Cher show days, before Mask, before whatever, before she became, like, a serious actress. Oh, I know where you're going And it's for Best Original Score, and... They're reading off the nominees, and it's, you know, whatever, Elmer Bernstein and Henry Mancini. And then <laughs> they get to Marvin Hamlish for The Way We Were, and she she just says, Marvin Hamshmish for The Way We Were. And he goes, and whoever's pronouncing, producing, presenting with her goes, you want to try that again? And she goes, Hamlshmish. <laughs> And he just goes, and he whispers in her ear, and she goes, Hamlish. And then she says, in this most, like, share way, she goes, like, sorry, Marvin. For best original dramatic score are John Williams for Cinderella Liberty. George Delarue for The Day of the Dolphin. Jerry Goldsmith for Papillon. John Cameron for A Touch of Class. And Marvin Hamshmish for Who? The Way We Were. Who? Hamlshmish. Hamlish. Hamlish. Sorry about that, Marvin. An envelope, please. It's it's so fucking perfect. It sends me into hysterics every time I think of it because it's like it's not just that she says it once with Hamshmish, but that Hamlshmish is even worse. It's pure comedy. (laughs) It's my favorite thing that's ever happened. And they work in the same industry. She knows who Marvin Hamlish is. I can't imagine she'd never sung a Marvin Hamlish song before. Like it's the best. I don't uh, I don't know if I have an answer to this question because I don't know fully what people's Oscar memories are and usually these things just come up organically. Yeah. But like do like baby Oscar gays know about the Uma Oprah thing? Oh. They must, right? I don't know. Maybe not. I guess my real answer to this and I bring this up a lot is as like you watch Lauren Bacall with the Kill Bill sirens as D- Juliette Binoche wins the Oscars. Juliette Binoche is dressed as Count Chocula. Dressed as so, Count like, Chocula. She's Lauren Bacall has flashes of killing Count Chocula. Next question is from Brian Forte. This is an extended question about Titanic which we love to talk about on this podcast. So He's asking about the alternate ending to Titanic where it's like Bill Paxton gets to have like the revelatory moment and she explains that she's going to throw the um, the heart of the ocean into the ocean. It's really weird. You can watch it on YouTube. It is a terrible scene. Mm. 
but Brian is asking, if Titanic is released with this truly absurd and baffling ending, do audiences leave the theater in a state of disarray and disappointment, thereby preventing it from becoming the juggernaut movie of our lifetime and therefore handing the best picture Oscar to L.A. Confidential? What ripple effects does that have on Oscar? Okay, I don't think that that scene would have... I'm not about to say sunk the movie. <laughs> but... You just did. I do think, like... I don't know. I think people... The feeling people left leaving that movie is a lot because of that, like, fantasy or death sequence at the end where you get reunited mm-hmm. with everybody and it's like my yeah, eyes are Yeah, you've forgotten about Bill Paxton about that scene. once that once that's yeah. happened. Yes. And, like, that's why it's not in the movie because, like, regardless of if it's terrible, like, you don't care about that. Right. But to answer the, like, ripple effect of L.A. Confidential winning, I don't think we want that because that possibly, I don't necessarily think that the Academy's giving a movie to, uh, an Oscar to Best Picture with blue people, but that could mean Avatar winning, and I don't. That's a very interesting and dark world indeed. I sort of rejected the premise of the question a little bit. First of all, I do agree with you that, like, I don't think including that scene would have stopped Titanic from winning. But I also feel like if Titanic didn't win, I don't think, I think LA Confidential is destined to be the critics fave that finishes second. I don't think LA Confidential wins in any scenario. I think if it's not Titanic, I think Goodwill Hunting wins best picture that year, which means that I think if Goodwill Hunting becomes the Titanic of 1997, uh, then maybe Matt Damon wins Best Actor in 2015 for The Martian instead of DiCaprio for The Revenant. Maybe that oh, narrative belongs to Matt Damon. Also, and I think Brian's question also delves into the idea of Titanic's 1997 Oscar near sweep did sort of like birth an entire generation of Oscar gays. And I do still think that happens. I think... Yeah, I think that still happens, yeah. but maybe, if anything, it's... It's closer to what we have now, where the populace kind of thinks that the Oscars are unjust yes. and don't give it to the right things. Right. Agreed. But that is, I do think that's interesting. It's always interesting to talk about Titanic and Oscar, even though, like, on paper, it doesn't seem like an interesting thing to talk about. Oh, there's because it's so just, many like, different angles Cakewalks to, it. to all of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Gordon, who says... I want to know what each of you would consider the best lineup of nominees for each acting category of the 20th century so f- 21st century so far. And if you have time, what you'd consider the weakest for each year as well. Thank you, Gordon. Um, do you want me to lead with this or do you want to? Yes, okay. lead with this because I don't, I always like get stuck on what I think sure. are terrible nominees. So you might have a better also, answer that I can Also, this is going to betray you. my deep, deep, deep partisanship for actresses over actors. Where like my weakest supporting actress year will be better than my strongest supporting actor year. So like, just so you know. Um, but I'll start with best actor. Such as it always is. I think the strongest lineups for best actor are 2003, which is Sean Penn for Mystic River, Bill Murray for Lost in Translation, Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean, Ben Kingsley for House of Sand and Fog, Jude Law for Cold Mountain. I think that's probably the best sort of like pound for pound one. I like the 2002 lineup a lot, which is Nicholson for About Schmidt, Brody for The Pianist, um, Daniel Day-Lewis for Gangs of New York, 
Nicolas Cage for Adaptation, which is like a phenomenal nomination that like wouldn't have always happened. Like that's and then the only reason why I can't include it is I've never seen The Quiet American. So I have no <laughs> way of evaluating Michael Caine. But like unless he's awful in that, like two thousand is maybe the two thousand two is maybe the best one. I also will put in a word for 2017 because i really liked the darkest hour and i liked gary oldman in it that also has chalamet daniel day lewis for phantom thread for as much as i bitch about phantom thread like daniel day lewis is obviously great in it daniel kaluuya for get out and then denzel washington for roman j israel esquire which i also love that's a that is a really great lineup though if i'll be the uh antithetical person i think Denzel Washington should have won that Oscar. That's and that's the mark of a strong category, I think. That you know, somebody who was never really in contention like Denzel Washington is your pick for number 1. It, weakest year is giving some of his best work of his career. Yeah, weakest year for best actor. We talked about it recently. It was the 2015 best actor year where uh, DiCaprio won for The Revenant. We just mentioned Matt Damon in The Martian, who is good. God, that lineup is terrible. I like Mac- Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs, but like uh, yes. Trumbo, Brian Cranston for Trumbo, Eddie Redmayne for The Danish Girl. It's a very, very weak Best Actor lineup. So bleak. Yes. Best Actress, we have some really good ones. 2000 has Juliette Binoche and Chocolat, which I think is sort of its its Achilles heel. But, like, the other four are so good. That's Julia. The other four are, like, worthy winners. I don't know. We've had yeah. this conversation on Mike before, but, like, I don't know if I would ever pick... Um, Joan Allen, but like in a weaker year, she's like safely a winner. Yeah, Joan but Allen like, for the contender, Laura Linney for You Can Count on Me, which is my pick to win. Um, Ellen Burstyn for Requiem for a Dream, who's amazing, and then Julia Roberts for Aaron Brockovich, who's amazing. Like it's like those three right there. My pick probably changes with the day. Like, if I'm picking truly. my best actress performances of this century, those three are in my top five. Yep. Um, that we've talked about semi recently, 2006, which is a great lineup. Which is we talked about it like a couple times. Helen Mirren wins for the Queen. We both think that's probably the least of the five nominations, which is pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, Streep for Devil Wears Prada, Penelope Cruz for Volver, Kate Winslet for Little Children, and Judy Dench for Notes on a Scandal. Amazing category. Amazing. I think that lineup. 2000 lineup beats that a little. I bit. agree as well, but again, I think Binoche for Chocolate drags it down a little bit. And then my actual pick, though, for best category and best actress, that, like, to have one that's better than those two is insane. But 2010, it's um, Natalie Portman for Black Swan ends up beating Annette Bening for The Kids Are All Right, Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone, Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine, and Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole. Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole is my pick to win, maybe, although some days it's Kidman and some days it's Portman. But like, I think that's an unimpeachable lineup. But I think just the like the level of which the three that we mentioned in two thousand are operating at, yeah. like two thousand ten is very like a level playing field of greatness of all of those performances Agreed. to me. But like the heights of those three yeah, in two thousand, I agree. That's why I would pick weakest that. best actress year. I always go to two thousand five, which is the year that Reese won for Walk the Line, yeah. ends up beating. Felicity Huffman for Transamerica, which a lot of other people I know really loved. I was a little bit muted on it, and then it's pretty problematic to talk about today. 
Yeah. Um, Charlize Theron for North Country, who I would always stick up for when people would be like, what the fuck is that nomination? But I don't think I would ever put it as like among the strongest actress nominees of this century. Uh, James Judy Dench for Mrs. Henderson Presents, which I think is like super like forgettable and probably her weakest Oscar nomination. And who am I forgetting in two? Th- oh, Kira Knightley and Pride and Prejudice, who I actually legitimately love. So, yeah, that's a great performance. Yeah. Supporting, I would agree with you that on that as well. Yeah, supporting actor again. Trying to find the strongest was tough because like there's always one in every supporting actor category, which I'm just like, no, stupid, like don't do that. I like the 2000 race, which is Benicio del Toro beats out. Um, Willem Dafoe for Shadow of the Vampire, mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix for Gladiator. Who am I forgetting in 2000s? I'll look it up. I'm trying to do this from memory. This is a pride thing more than anything. Gladiator. Right. Gladiator. God, Elizabeth Taylor. So good. One of the great Golden Globe moments. Wandering around that stage. Dick Clark has to come and focus her. It's fantastic. <laughs> um... Oh, it's such a bummer that I can't think of. Oh, Albert Finney for Ju- for uh, for Julia Roberts, basically. Albert Finney for Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> for Julia. They could have called that movie Julia Roberts, and it would be just as accurate, right? Oh, Jeff Bridges for The Contender, which I have said right. should be his uh, his win earlier win. Yeah. So that's a really great category. Love that category. I also would yeah. probably stick up for actually last year's. I know that's because. I like Mahershala in Green Book a lot better than a lot of other people do, but like Richard E. Grant, Can You Ever Forgive Me is great. Sam Elliott in A Star is oh Born, great. Adam Driver in Black Klansman, great. And then Sam Rockwell in, as, in Vice is the sort of the pitfall for that for me. But I feel very differently about a lot of those performances yeah. than you do, or like. I think, like, the Adam Driver nomination is fine, but he's not the performance that I, like, walk away from that movie from, so That's I fair. would stick up for that 2000 lineup, even though Benicio Del Toro is elite. Sure. And then I think the weakest supporting actor year, we've talked about this, so I won't go into it too much. <laughs> Take your pick! Yeah, but 2011, because also I don't love Beginners, so, like, Christopher Plummer for Beginners doesn't give it as much yeah. leeway for me as it could, and so you also then have... Max von Sydow for um, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Nick Nolte for Warrior, which I've been on record before as saying is the most embarrassing Oscar nomination of my lifetime. Um, who else is in that category? It's supporting actor with the ones that I can never remember. 2011, oh, Jonah Hill for Moneyball, who was, like, deeply fine, but, like, I think, you know, fairly unimpressive. Inert. And... Kenneth Branagh for My Week with Marilyn, the most the nomination we always forget. Who could remember it? Why would you remember it? It's insane that anybody would remember it. All right. Supporting Very Actress, strange. by the other hand, every year this century, there's been one Supporting Actress nominee who I fucking love, so it's so hard to pick a weakest. I actually, well, I'll do weakest first, and then I'll do strongest. Weakest, you will maybe disagree with me. I think the weakest Supporting mm. Actress lineup is 2012, where Hathaway wins for Les Mis, which is a win that I think is both very well deserved and also boring. I, and I, as much as I love I her, that's such a boring win. I agree, and I and I don't I don't love that performance as much as other people love it. It's always surprising to me that people who hate Les Mis still love that performance of I Dreamed a Dream because I'm like everything that you hate about Les Mis is there in that performance. The weird close up, the like, the sort of hacky filmmaking, the whatever. Like the the difference is she can fucking sing. So that's fine. Yeah. Other nominees. I think, sorry, go for it. Yeah. 
Go ahead. No, go ahead because I I will make my point of why I think you throw this in as the yeah. Other nominees. It's not like anybody's bad in this, but like I never think about Helen Hunt in the sessions. I never think about Sally Field in Lincoln. I never think about Amy Adams in the Master, and I don't understand why Jackie Weaver got nominated for Silver Linings Playbook. Jackie Weaver is the reason why I think that this is the a lot of people would argue as this is a weakest lineup because like that nomination doesn't make any sense to people beyond the fact that silver linings playbook um was a beloved movie i love i mean caveats of what i just said about anne hathaway's performance i think all of those other performances are amazing amy adams would probably be my winner i love helen hunt in the sessions i am probably the like key demo for the sessions i probably (laughs) love that movie more than anyone else out there yeah um, and I think Sally Field's incredible in Lincoln. Yeah. So, so I doubt that that would be my pick for worst. Yeah. It's. I mean, again, it's tough to find a worst supporting actress because there's always so many good nominees. I think for best supporting actress, I think they've been on a very hot streak lately in this category. I think last year's category was great, where Regina King beats out um, Marina de Tavira for Roma, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz for The Favorite, who like could ha- either one of them could have won in any other year. And mm-hmm. for as much as I didn't like Vice, Amy Adams is a does a good job in Vice. So like it's never a nomination I would she, have put up there, but like it's not embarrassing. No, I mean I think it definitely shows her as a performer who's going to commit to whatever a vision of something is and commit wholeheartedly. Yeah. I just think that movie embarrasses her in what it asks her to do. I agree. I love the I do think legitimately Marina de Tavira is great i am famously not a huge fan of roma but i think that both actresses are really great in that movie yeah the 26 lineup i absolutely love where viola davis for fences beats out naomi harris for moonlight nicole kidman for lion octavia spencer for hidden figures and michelle williams from manchester by the sea i don't know if anything beyond viola is like an all-timer but like i love all five of those performances but I I would have a hard time sticking up for that as like a best of the century. It's my number lineup. two, I think. I think my number one is two thousand five because I think that's like all killer no filler. Even though a lot of people don't like North Country, so they sort of look down on the Frances McDormand nomination for North Country. But she's really good in it. You could probably replace her with. I would replace her with maybe. I don't know. Somebody from 2005. Now I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, it's also that, like, Rachel Weiss and Catherine Keener, what they're doing are a little bit more minor key, but I would definitely stick up for this being one of the best. It's Rachel Weiss for Constant Gardner, who I actually don't think is minor key. I think she's really... I think she's... In her scenes, I think she's the one your your eye goes to all the time. Yes, but it's it's a performance built on subtlety, whereas yeah. like Amy Adams and Michelle Williams get to do huge things. Frances McDormand is doing a physical type of right. thing. Right, it's Keener for Capote, Amy Adams for Junebug, it's her first nomination, and it's Michelle Williams' first nomination for Brokeback Mountain. So, yes, that's my. I think that's my best. What is your, where, are you, where do you come down on that? <sighs> Best, I don't know. Like, I almost don't want to say this, but... <laughs> Go for it. Uh, Hold on. Let me think if... No, that's... Actually, I would probably... Uh... <laughs> I don't want to say it's the worst, but 2015 
which I know gets a lot of people upset because they think that there's a lot of leads. And maybe I just hate The Hateful Eight that much, and I hate that Jennifer Jason Lee's one nomination is for that movie. Yeah. But I don't love that lineup, even though I love Kate Winslet. And obviously I love lead Rooney Mara, and I wish Alicia Vikander was there for Ex Machina, and I think Rachel McAdams is incredibly underrated, even though she got nominated for an Oscar for Spotlight. Wait, so are you I saying don't. that you would fix it? You would fix that category? You would fix it, Steve? I f- fix it, Steve. Fix it. Or I quit. Okay. So that's your worst? Best? What are we saying? I, I, that's the one that, like, I hate talking about. Yeah, them, yeah, yeah. Most. That, to me, makes it worse, I guess. I don't know. Okay. These these type of questions are always hard for me because I always and I get really hung up on the thing that I sure. hate about a, a nomination. That makes sense. Here, okay, here's a best actor lineup that I would stand up for as one of the best. Let's hear it. It would be uh, 2007. It's Daniel Day Lewis winning for There Will Be Blood. It's also George Clooney for Michael Clayton, Who Tommy Lee won. Jones for In the Valley of Ayla, yeah. which is. Actually, I don't know if I could stand up for the movie, but that performance is great. Yep. Viggo Mortensen for Eastern Promises and Johnny Depp for Sweeney Todd, which I am on the record as saying, I think it's a great performance. I like that category. I think Clooney should have won. I think if we all had the benefit of knowing that Daniel Day-Lewis would win for Lincoln anyway, then we might have you know, eased up on our Daniel Day-Lewis hard-on for one year and allowed mm-hmm. George Clooney to win. I think that was... I think the other part of that that was too bad was Clooney had already won. They gave him his career Oscar first, weirdly. He, that's an odd thing yeah. with him, where it's just sort of like, we know you're going to have a great that career. Is just gone. So we're just going like, to like give you a career Oscar for Syriana and supporting actor right off the bat so that like you're, you know, the pressure's off for the rest of your career. And like, cool, but like it does take away some of the urgency for a performance he was great in, which is like Michael Clayton. And, um, should have won for that one. He's so good. I'll also say 2015 is a great Best Actress lineup, even though I just, like, word vomited onto the Supporting Actress lineup. I know a lot of people think that Brie Larson only operates on one temperature. I think that that role is impossible, and she makes it incredibly human. It's a great lineup. And communicates, it communicates things that, like, aren't in the script that are very important information for us to get. But it's also Kate Blanchett and Carol, who should have won. Charlotte Rampling, who can shut her mouth but like that's a yeah. great performance yeah. Saoirse Ronan in Brooklyn and Jennifer Lawrence in Joy which is uh, legitimately people hate that movie and like there are some really funny jokes even about her performance like you know the line that was from the trailer of like if you ever disrespect my family again never speak on my behalf about my business again blah 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 and it takes her four years to get the line out and people joke that she just can't remember her line. Shout out to my friend Robert Kessler who was like the first one I saw make that observation where he's like she's fully trying to remember her line and they kept that take. I was like that's all I can see. I've seen that joke several times. It's all I can see when I watch that scene now. Yeah. Yeah but like that's a really good performance that like I think shows a side of Jennifer Lawrence that yeah you know, not a lot of movies get to do, but I do love that best actress line. All right, next question. From Kevin Jacobson. What are your favorite examples of actors who had Oscar buzz for multiple films over the years, but it just never happened for them? I mean, 
we get so wrapped up in like legacy nominations yeah. and like I famously don't care. <laughs> I want it to be about the performance. Like I, I'm last less year, I think like you. Amy Adams and Glenn Close, the powers of both of them for movies that I hated in performances that I really didn't like fully broke me of ever being down for like a legacy Oscar. I still I just am. don't care. That being said, my answer is Amy Adams. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Amy Adams, we talk about so much that I almost want to like leave her exempt for this. I think if we're talking about actors from like the 90s, I think my biggest examples, especially now that Jennifer Jason Lee has gotten her first nomination, but we've talked about Meg Ryan on this podcast before. It's wild to me that she mm-hmm. never got a nomination through all of the 90s, being in so good in so many popular movies. We also don't remember how many times Kevin Bacon came close. We're like, mm-hmm. remember Murder in the First, which is like a classic yeah. let's get this guy an Oscar nomination movie that just, he got a SAG nomination and the movie did well enough that, like, I feel like people were talking about that movie a lot and never happened. And you just, and it never has since then. I think my favorite example, not favorite as in like happy about it, but I always talk about Cameron Diaz in this respect, where she came so close in 99 and 2001. And then 2002, she was also, so she's not Golden Globe nominated three out of four years for being John Malkovich in 99, Vanilla Sky in 01, and then. Gangs of New York in 02, which I think is a legitimately bad performance, and I don't think she ever came all that close to the Oscar field, but, like, she was very, very close to getting an Oscar nomination for being John Malkovich and Vanilla Sky, and they both would have been very, very Mm -hmm. well-deserved. And I think you add to that the fact that she's at her career best and in her shoes, which is an all-time classic, like, what the fuck were the Oscars thinking? We will eventually talk about it. It's one of my favorites. And... People talk about her in The Counselor, who I actually, I do think she's actually pretty bad in The Counselor, where they had to, like, overdub her, like, it's not, it's still her, but, like, they had to, like, ADR her voice, because her accent was unintelligible. Yeah, she originally had a dialect. Yeah. So, I don't think she's always great, but, like, we don't, we definitely undervalue Cameron Diaz. So, other uh, other mm. examples of this, and this is something that could come into play this year, if Scarlett Johansson ends up getting her first Oscar nomination for uh, Marriage Story, which the buzz out of Venice is very, very good, I should mention, as we record this, um, that will put to put to rest a lot of the failed buzz for things like her in Lost in Translation. I still think it's wild she never got nominated for that. Girl with a Pearl Earring. Um, a love song for Bobby Long. Like, all of these, like, weird Globe nominations that mm-hmm. she got... Or, again, we mentioned Under the Skin, where that was one of those that, like, it was always a little bit too high-minded and artsy for Oscar, but, like, she's so great in that. And, you know, she's not she's not been our favorite celebrity these last few years, but... Also needs to listen instead of speak. But I think she's such a talented actress, and I love when she's on, like, when she's on her game, she's really, really phenomenal, so... Yeah, and it's been a while since we've had a performance of that like hers i mean she could also be nominated in supporting for jojo rabbit right. so yeah she's got an yeah. interesting fallout she of could us. finally be enough of a story yes even because like the years that she could have been nominated she never became like a story or a yeah so we will see yes. i will also say if we're talking nominations and i know that this is another like 
we're currently talking about in this Oscar race, I would throw Antonio Banderas in there. Oh, yeah. And that, that will be a very interesting case where if he can get a nomination for Pain and Glory, I think it would be a career honor, even though I think he's great in Pain and Glory. So, Yeah. And I think we so rarely get, like, a lot of the male career honors i think we meet with some of an eye roll like it's not always about performances that are exciting yeah. and sometimes their perform their like exciting performances are past them um i think this could be a nice alternative to yeah. that yeah all right next question comes from ian mccarthy who asks us are there any actors who have been nominated at least twice who would have been your top choice of the five nominees each time? I think Ian, I, Ian and I are uh, are friends, and I think he asked me this one time on DM. And so, congratulations, Ian, for like uh, for remembering that this was an interesting question and sending it to us. So, thank you again. <laughs> so, you go first. I've got a couple. Uh, my male answer, at least, is uh, someone that you mentioned earlier. It's actually Nicolas Cage. Shut up! Wow. I would give him the Oscar for both of his nominated performances in Leaving Las Vegas and uh, Adaptation. He's wonderful in both of those, I will say. He's incredible in both of those movies. Um, Adaptation, he's up against such a field. Wow, that's that's impressive. He'd still be my pick. Um, I love that movie. He's wonderful, and I that's a that's a movie I'm due to rewatch at some point. That's really cool. Yeah, I have a few. One of whom I sort of mentioned earlier as somebody who I don't always. You know, talk to me on a different day, and I might not have her winning. But Natalie Portman, I think, is three for three for me. Usually, I think for Black Swan, it she and Nicole Kidman fluctuate that year for me. Nicole Kidman in Rabbit Hole, who I think is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But I think Natalie certainly among the people who had a shot to win that year. Like, if I'm an Oscar voter that year, I'm voting for Natalie. So. I also absolutely, she gets my vote for Closer, for 2004 Supporting Actress for Closer. I think she should have won. And for Jackie in 2016, she would have been my vote there too. So I think she's she was the best in her category three times. I think Heath Ledger is the best in his category the both times that he was nominated for Brokeback Mountain and The Dark Knight. And I think Viola Davis was the best in her category all three times she's been nominated for Doubt and Fences and The Help. Um, yeah, that that's a good choice, too. Mine is maybe a little bit, um, uh, maybe a little more wild, um, especially because we kind of talked about this, but I will just say Laura Linney for her three nominations. Kinsey, really? Kinsey. Yeah, I love Kinsey. I stand that movie, um, and I okay. think she's great. I don't love, I mean, I love Kate Blanchett, but I don't love her in The Aviator. Um, And maybe some days I would vote for Natalie Portman or Virginia Madsen, but I do think Kinsey is legitimately great, um, especially as a more standard biop. Maybe that would be my answer for a movie that actually got a major nomination that I would love to talk about. Um, For being a standard biopic, I think it kind of subverts that in a few key interesting ways. Kinsey's a much better movie than it gets credit for. And of course... You bring up Virginia Madsen in Sideways. You know what I think about her performance in that movie. You think that Kinsey is a desert planet? (laughs) No, but I think Virginia Madsen in Sideways is so fucking good. Yeah. (laughs) And it tastes so fucking good. Um, She tastes so fucking good. Um, That's cool. That's a very interesting answer. Yeah. Um, And also The Savages, which we know I stand. 
Tamara Jenkins, but like that, I don't love that best actress lineup. And maybe I feel differently every day about Marion Cotillard's Love on Rose performance. I don't like it. Um, but I, also I was love a Julie Ellen Christie. Page. I was a Julie Christie gay that year. So oh, I was a Laura Linney one. Um, is Julie Christie one of those actresses we maybe don't want to ask about sensitive issues? Is she a, is she a ooh. rambling? A rampling in disguise. Remember how the year that Isabel Huppert was nominated, and that was like, and we were oh, like, God. she's gonna say something. Nobody, nobody asked her anything important. Nobody asked her anything important. Nobody asked her a Me Too question. Nobody asked her anything like that. I wonder if maybe Julie Christie is somebody we shouldn't be asking either. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Am I profiling? Am I being like, well, she looks like Catherine Deneuve a little bit. Like that's you know. <laughs> Catherine Deneuve has said some shit. Yeah, she um, sure has. Yeah, so Laura Linney and Nicolas Cage would be my answer. Our next question comes from C.J. Crowder, the beloved topic of Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, he says, is an amazing actress who has been nominated for twenty-one Academy Awards and won three times. Um, However, it's fair to say she doesn't deserve every nomination. If you could go through her nominations and replace her with another actress, which of the nominations would you select and which actress would you replace her with? Again, all roads are leading back to Amy Adams. That Florence Foster Jenkins nomination, I want to drop kick it into the sea and it would be a rival for Amy Adams. I knew you would say that, so that allowed. I mean, me to really, focus my winner that year, my winner that year is Annette Bening in Twentieth Century Women. Yep. So yep. maybe it would be Twentieth Century Women, but like the Amy Adams narrative of not getting that nomination because we knew Annette Bening wouldn't get nominated. Well, we knew that, that. Like it still stings, and like we talked recently that like it's the one recent not miss that showed up at all the precursors. So we like, knew that Annette Bening wasn't going to get nominated by January, but we didn't know that in, like, December. I think we were holding, yeah. like, there was hope for that nomination for a good while. Anyway, I, knowing that you would take Florence Foster Jenkins in 2016, I went with her performance in Into the Woods in 2014, which, yeah. if if it's not strictly speaking bad, it's certainly deeply unimpressive, considering what it could have been. So... I take that out pretty quickly. I would replace her with a nomination that was never going to happen in real life, but whatever. Um, Marissa Tomei and Love is Strange, who oh. is so, so, so good. Seek out that movie. That's an Ira Sachs movie. It's, seek out all Ira Sachs movies. Seek out all Ira Sachs movies. But like maybe Love is Strange first, and then Little Men second, and then, if you have time, um, the drug addict movie. What's that called? Keep the lights on. Keep the lights on, which is good, but like, like significantly less than the other two. Married Life is also good, and that gets forgotten about. I just caught up to that, and it's actually kind of, uh, at least for what it is, in like this Circean pseudo noir. Um, the performances are great. That's Chris good. Cooper's great. Next question comes from Frank, who says, "Who do you see?" as the best actor or actress currently working who's never been Oscar nominated? Um, I mean, we mentioned a few in terms of, like, legacy career ones earlier. I would right. say the best actor who maybe there's a chance that he could be nominated this year, I would say Jeffrey Wright. Oh, that's a good one. He's that's incredible. a fantastic question. And you're um, thinking maybe he for the Goldfinch. Yeah, maybe for the Goldfinch. He is in the um, the laundromat, but it looks like it's an even smaller role. And I think mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright, it just feels like 
we'll see what happens with the Goldfinch, but it feels like it just has to be the right movie and a slightly larger part than he's had. He always has bit roles. And of course, we know him from Angels in America, and he got his Emmy for Angels in America. Very well-deserved. Uh, incredibly well-deserved. One of his early lead performances, though, he was in Basquiat, which is, mm-hmm. that is a movie that if that happens in the 2000s rather than the late 90s, I wonder if that gets a little bit more traction and is possibly like a Terrence Howard-esque surprise. Yeah, album. yeah. It's a great performance. My, What's your answer? Mine are, my top two that came off the top of my head very quickly were Kristen Stewart and Michael B. Jordan. I love Case too. Are both incredibly exciting actors and who I think are kind of on the cusp of getting nominated, but like maybe yeah, Kristen like we Stewart take makes... them a little bit for granted. They, I mean, again, they both could be nominated this year too, but like I think. Those are the type of young performers that it, this isn't true for Kristen Stewart because Oscar is famously like stingy with young male actors, but we almost take them for granted. Like we know that they will eventually be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. The other ones I had on my list that I'm a little bit shakier on in terms of where their future nominations might come from are Rose Byrne and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, there's a lot of chatter about Kirsten Dunst lately. But it's for a because, TV show. Yeah, it's for a TV show. But like, every, I, the thing about Kirsten Dunst is that it feels like it's mounting towards a greater cultural appreciation that like more than just the gays are realizing that this right. is an incredible one of our best actresses working. Right. So that is at least exciting, and I hope a role materializes to make the grander culture and the Academy finally take notice. I agree. Next question. Uh, (laughs) This is from Ashley on Twitter. Is Mia Vasakovska the Thob actress of the decade? And where do you see her going from here? (laughs) Um, It's an interesting case. It's, uh, I had to look up her filmography, but then I was like, Oh, actually though, um, from Jane Eyre to Stoker, to maps, to the stars, to crimson peak, Madame Bovary tracks, that's that's not a she bad. She truly is. Um, yeah. That's a, a great observation. First of all, you are not a this had Oscar buzz famous actress if you are not mentioned in Meryl's acceptance speech <laughs> um, slash she gets your name wrong. Right. Um, but where do we see her going from here? Truly, just more of that, just more of the same. <laughs> She's in a movie at TIFF this year that I'm planning to see, which is called Blackbird, which is from director Roger Michel, who we talked about. What was the Roger Michel movie we did? Hyde Park on Hudson. Hyde Park on Hudson, right. Who I've liked all of his other movies that aren't Hyde Park on Hudson. He did um, The Weeknd and a few other movies. Um, Lindsay Duncan from The Weeknd is in that movie, but mainly that movie is Susan Sarandon, Kate Winslet. It's an ensemble family movie. The matriarch uh, has cancer and is dying. And Mia Wasikowska, I'm imagining, is playing Kate Winslet's daughter, but we'll see. Um... That's interesting. I think they're supposed to be sisters. Oh, that's interesting. Older sister, younger sister. Okay, yeah. that would work. And then she's also in a movie called The Devil All the Time, which is based on a novel, which the the logline of it is really quite interesting, where it's her and Tom Holland and mm. Bill Skarsgård and Sebastian Stan and Robert Pattinson, which, first of all, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> um, hold on. Now I'm, I want to look this up again because I lost it. The devil all the time. 
again, based on a novel directed by Antonio Campos, who did... What was his big previous movie to this? God, I'm all over the place, aren't I? Simon Killer. He directed Simon Killer, which, like, is fine. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um so this movie the devil all the time it says it follows a cast of compelling and bizarre characters from the end of world war ii to the 1960s in rural southern ohio and west virginia i know one of the things is like one of the couples are like a married pair of serial killers and one is a false preacher and one is a disturbed war veteran and i do not want to see this movie <laughs> i do i don't know if it's going to be good but like first of all that cast as i mentioned all those people sure. Haley bennett is also in it riley keogh is in it eliza oh, scanlon fuck. jason clark mia vasikowska douglas hodge um it's a fantastic cast it's in post-production now supposedly sure. sorry fucking alexa just yelled at me alexa's like this movie sounds terrible alexa off uh, <laughs> Should we move on to the next question? Sure. Yes. Next question comes from Clay, who asks, uh, says, recently we discussed Marissa Tomei having an Instagram worth following. I imagine you said that because I don't remember. Yes, that was me. That. Are there any other actor social media accounts that you recommend following? If you don't follow Sharon Stone, huh. you are insane. <laughs> Sharon Stone is so great on social media. First of all, I'm so excited to see her in the laundromat. And apparently Soderbergh did a secret movie with her and Meryl together. Anyway. Is that um, actually real, though? I keep... I I'm so dubious real. of it. I'm so it's dubious Soderbergh, of it. so it's like it totally could drop tomorrow. Because um, wasn't that on Scorsese's IMDb for a while? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. I apologize. That's a Scorsese movie. Um, I'm so dubious. Scorsese I, doesn't work with women. He makes movies about... That's, a, that's such an exaggeration. Um, anyway, follow Sharon Stone. She's amazing. She is intentionally funny. She is unintentionally funny. But most importantly, she's fabulous and a genius. So follow Sharon Stone. I tend to not like to follow actors on Instagram because I it's too much behind the curtain for me. I follow, of course, I follow Reese Witherspoon because, of course. Uh, but the one I would recommend is Debbie Allen because she is... First of all, a goddamn delight. Second of all, she'll just like just film little videos from the set of Grey's Anatomy, which is so charming. And then also, she'll throw in links to videos from like her old dance and musical career, where it's just like her singing a song from Dreamgirls, her in a production of The Wiz, like her in like whatever. It's amazing. You get so much like classic young Debbie Allen. It's <laughs> it's so and I, like Debbie Allen is one of like. One of the celebrities I genuinely love, and again, please nobody ask her questions about any kind of sensitive material because I don't want to hear. Her <laughs> you don't want to hear what, yeah, what Debbie yeah. Allen is problematic about. Yes, so Debbie yes. Allen is on the right side of everything. Probably, I hope so. She's hope. wonderful. Well, Felicia Rashad scared me. Like Felicia had those bad opinions about the Cosby accusers, so I'm just like, let's let's not. ask other members of her family (laughs) maybe she was on the payroll who knows um next question from meredith her question is less oscary than a thunderdome of our time she says that i feel like the two of us are qualified to debate rooney or kate mara joe one two three rooney kate (laughs) <laughs> that's Go to the essential, jail. That's the essential divide of this podcast is you're a Rooney and I'm a Kate. 
you know what? Actually, I will take that. I will. Take I think. That. I think this comes down to you're a stats person or you're a gut instinct person, and I think the stats are on Rooney's side. She has so many great performances. It's tough to. I don't think I. I have many performances of hers where I'm like, oh, I don't like what she's doing in this. I love her in a ghost story. I love her in Carol. I love her in um, Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, she's great. I, on a gut instinct level, like Kate more. I think she's been in worse projects, but I think she's done her best with them. And I don't know. I think Kate would be more fun to hang out with. I think that's true, but do Tell me how you distinguish Kate Mara performances from each other. From each other? Yeah, like, is the, are they at all distinguishable from each other? Other than the movie where she's uh, the she has a dog and she's in the military. Yeah, she's got a dog. She doesn't have a dog in House of Cards. Maybe she had a dog. She has a dog. His name is Kevin Spacey. <laughs> no, I I take your point, and that like, but I also feel like Rooney's getting the kinds of projects that challenge her to like go to different places like that. Where I think I don't know. I think the quality of work that Kate gets isn't always. They're like, okay, her character in Pose is terrible, but like, Ugh. there's that one episode where she and um and Angel go to the diner. And she, like, really brings it in that scene. She's a good I actress. I, I'm not saying she's bad. I, I think she's good. But anyway, I'm glad that we have different favorite Maras. It, it keeps it interesting. Rooney all the way. Thanks for the question, Meredith. Thanks that for the question. <laughs> Next one. Uh, this one comes from Rob Barnett. Recently, you talked about Julia Roberts being close for Pretty Woman. And I once heard Joe, that'd be me, follow... That ripple effect through to Ellen Burstyn perhaps winning the 2000 Best Actress Oscar for Requiem for a Dream. However, I wondered what other ripple effect would be of Kathy Bates not winning for Misery. She won the SAG for Primary Colors, so one has to assume she was close. In which case, does Kate, does Kathy Bates win that and Judy Dench, does Judy Dench have no Oscar? First of all, there's no universe where Judy Dench has no Oscar. Yeah, she would have won for something. I think she would have won the very next time out. I think they were, like, horny for her. They wanted to give her an Oscar so bad. They were like, are you in Shakespeare in Love at all? We'll give you an Oscar for it. So if they didn't do it for that, I think she wins the very next time out. Do you know what her next Oscar nomination was after that? I do. I just am forgetting what it was. It, it wasn't. Was, it was Chocolat. And Actually, she won the that makes that. complete sense that she would win for that. Because, like, that's almost the most, like... Mm, it's not the showiest, but like that's the type of role that wins older supporting actresses Oscars all throughout the history of Oscar. She won the SAG that year for Chocolat, mm. and it was truly wild. And yeah, so I think she wins that. I think ultimately what that means is Marsha Gay Harden never wins an Oscar, which I don't know if I would like to live in that world because she said, what a thrill. And what a thrill. I still laugh about that to this day. What a thrill. What if Judy Dench's Oscar was for Philomania, as Leonardo DiCaprio puts it? If she was up against anybody, but I think Blanchett had such a head of steam that year for Blue Jasmine that nobody else was going to win it. But yeah, I think nobody was winning that Oscar. If Blanchett's not in that year, I think Judy Dench wins for Philomania. You don't think Amy Adams wins for American Hustle? I don't. I do not. I think that's. A wild claim. I think I just too many people didn't Philomania. like that movie. I think people loved... I think people were in love with But Philomania. it had 10 Oscar nominations. Like, you have to sure. imagine that she was probably... I imagine that she was second place. She was Amy Adams after several nominations. She was also the only one in that category who had never won, right? Yeah. 
which normally translates to something. But um, you know, I don't think I don't think they were ready to give it. I think that performance is more divisive than we remember it. I think that movie is hugely divisive, and I think if it's not Kate, I think it's I think it's Dench. But again, smart people can disagree on this subject. Yes, so they can. Moving Our on. next batch of questions is all about Oscar moving forward. So, Joseph, this yes. next question from Milton Barrero is, which female director do you think will be the next one to win Best Director at the Oscars? Right now, and only because it's so early in the race, I am allowing myself to believe Lulu Wong could be the one for fa- The Farewell. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about The Farewell. I think that there is definitely a lot of potential this year Um for female directors, especially getting... This could maybe be the first year that we have two female directors nominated because it feels like there's a lot of female-directed, like, major players in this Oscar race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Correct me if you think I'm wrong. No, I don't think you're wrong. I I mean, you have Lulu Wong, you have Mariel Heller, you have Casey Lemons, um, Melina Matsukas has Queen and Slim. We will see what comes with that. Obviously, you mentioned Greta Gerwig, so... I, I think as far as, like, nominations, there could be a lot of people. I wonder if the next one to win, honestly, just looking at career trajectory and not just because I absolutely adore them and all the movies they've made, um, I think it could be Mariel Heller. Um, I think certainly her trajectory is on such an upward swing that, like, I think that's a very, very good option. I think another really strong contender would be Dee Reese, considering yes. the type of films she makes, um, and that I think they appeal to a larger audience. And her, her next movie is not coming out until next year, apparently. They're holding it for Sundance, and it has Anne Hathaway and uh, Willem Dafoe. Um, I just think her sensibility is the type of thing that like Oscar goes for and audiences go for. Mm-hmm. So I think it's... Uh, my, if I had to guess, and it could be it could be truly anyone, we hope that it is someone incredibly soon. I would say Mario Heller or D. Reese. I think director is so circumstantial. I think it's tough to yeah, plot it out yeah. career wise. I I think I would probably maybe give the edge to somebody like Greta Gerwig because they love the Oscars. Do love the actor director phenomenon. So I think, and I do think that her. The year she was nominated for Lady Bird, while I don't think she was all that close to winning, I think it definitely it gave enough people occasion to imagine a world where Greta Gerwig wins Best Director that like there won't be as much of a hurdle the next time. My, my hesitation, and we'll see what happens with Little Women this year, my hesitation with Greta Gerwig is will she make the type of movies that they don't reward fair. in Best fair. Director? That's very fair. Maybe she'll make a... It's the Sophia, I feel more confident the Sophia she, Coppola problem. Is, exactly. I think she makes the type of movies that could win Best Picture. Yeah. I think Sophia Coppola already made her most accessible movie. And there's, yeah. a, there's a question as to whether that's also true of Greta. Although the fact that she went to make an adaptation of Little Women, where I know even from watching the trailer, you can tell that that's, it is a it's very gonna make non-traditional, so much money. it's a non-traditional it's adaptation so though. It's, you know, I don't think, I mean, that's the type of thing that they could actually reward, especially if they make that like the story and how they are publicizing this movie. Very that, true. Like she took a very classic adaptation and very true. Turned it out in a way that is different. Yes, indeed. But yeah. Um, next question comes from former guest and great friend of the show. National Katie treasure. Rich. National Katie treasure, Rich. Katie Rich. North Carolina's 
brightest and best. She asks us, she says, Green Book winning Best Picture has made Oscar pundits doubt their knowledge. She puts knowledge in scare quotes. I get it. We're all dum-dums. Um, doubt their knowledge about what makes an Oscar movie the same way that the 2016 election made, made political pundits question everything they thought they knew about politics. She says, discuss. First of all, Katie, follow-up question. What happened in the 2016 election? I don't remember. Second yeah. of all... Um, no, I think this is a very thought-provoking question. What is what were your what was your original uh, uh, thought to this? I think the ties between those two. One of the things, especially like people doubting their knowledge, is they want to reduce both of those cases down to like this is why, like the big picture reason why. And I think both the 2016 election and the win of Green Book are is actually like a conglomeration of a lot of other smaller factors um, mm-hmm. that lead into one large uh, unfortunate event. Um, like if you want to talk about Green Book specifically winning over what we're, I presume we're guessing Roma, like all of the things against Roma probably winning Best Picture and probably aiding its Best Director win you know, I don't think it was necessarily a large group that was anti-Netflix. I don't think it was a large group that was anti the fact that it was a slow movie or like people that had a problem that it was in non, that it was a non-English language film. But I think like a lot of small pockets of things made it an easier avenue for Green Book to just like kind of slide in in the Agreed. same way that there's a lot of small things about the 2016 election that made Donald Trump get elected for president. Yeah, I think and like I think in terms ahead. of like the knowledge of Oscar pundits is like uh, <laughs> the habit is to reduce it down to a big thing is a reason. Um, but a lot of those big things, if you want to make them into a big thing, they're all porous and like they don't always hold up as like a big capital R reason. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we're overzealous in grafting narratives on things. I think there's, I think we got a little spoiled with the 2010s best picture winners that like spotlight ended up winning that moonlight ended up winning that 12 years a slave ended up winning. And we sort of graft the narrative that we hope is true onto that, which is, the Academy is getting better that smaller films are winning because they're more, you know, personally attached to our ideals and the kinds of stories we want to tell and yada, yada. And while all that is true, I also feel like it could just be that a lot of people watch green book and were for a couple of hours, you know, momentarily comforted by the idea of this, like, you know, throwback kind of a movie where, you know, white and black people get along better because they were, you know, forced to road trip together. And it doesn't it even could have just to be, be that, like, that was the movie that was publicized enough directly to that voting branch that, like, if they're not watching all the movies, they maybe watch that one at least. And yeah, there's a lot of different. I will say, I want to tie this into a little bit into the next question, which uh, is from. Taylor, who asks us about Alex Ross Perry's take that Avengers Endgame should win Best Picture this year. Did he say that on a blank check? Blank check no, episode? he said that um, it, the IndieWire interview that he did when Her Smell came out, and right. it was very much positioned as, like, it's very difficult for a movie like Alex Ross, like, 
Alex Ross Perry makes to get like any headway in the culture and to get distribution and it had a very small release. However, the caveat being his movies have never really made money and her smell was the highest grossing and best reviewed of all of them. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea that like first of all, I don't think that an Avengers Endgame is going to win Best Picture this year and I don't, I don't think, think it's think gonna it get nominated. Should. I think I don't think either. I think I think Black Panther was a was a totally different thing, and we can't like graft that onto other things. But I will say, it's also an infinitely better movie. Black Panther was to I what yeah, yeah. is. Eh, I don't know if I would say infinitely, but okay. Um, but I think mostly, I'm if if that happens, if Avengers Endgame wins Best Picture, I think that's the Trump election for me. Not that it's bad. Not that <laughs> Avengers Endgame is bad like Donald Trump is bad, but that's the one that would make me think, oh, what everything that I thought about Oscar punditry is wrong. Everything I thought about trying to handicap this thing is wrong, and we have turned a corner into a different thing, and that we are so desperate to save this industry or to save this institution of the Oscars that we are going to give Best Picture to the most popular thing so that you guys, for God's sake, will, you know... But that's the thing is, I don't think it's the Academy that's desperate for Oscar viewers in the telecast. I think that's ABC. I think we tend to conflate that sometimes, too. I don't think Oscar voters vote to get you to watch the ceremony. I think yeah, they clearly... don't care. And first of all, like I think Alex Ross Perry's comments, they at least read like they were being a little glib, a little tongue in cheek. Alex Ross um, Perry, glib and tongue in cheek. I could never imagine. I don't, it. I don't know. Um, but like the Oscars are snobs. They're not going to Joker has 100% a better chance at a best picture nomination yes. than Avengers Endgame. If yes. you're talking about Movies based on comic books or superhero narratives. Snob appeal. Yes. Because it has snob appeal, and Avengers Endgame does not. And I wonder, I really, I mean, like, people have talked about is Disney going to campaign Robert Downey Jr. for supporting actress? I will still, I still stand by, I will be surprised if that really materializes into any real thing. But, like, we're at the end of the summer now, the time that we're recording. Don't you feel like people have already forgotten about Avengers Endgame? Maybe not uh, entirely. I don't know. But about like that. its cultural cachet, I think, is going to be hard to bring back because we'll already be preparing for the next big superhero movie. Here's what I will say is I wonder what its lasting impact truly is. Already the discussions of fall movies is dropping Endgame in a way that Black Panther was never dropped. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what I will say. I don't think Avengers Endgame is people getting connected with it. In the it has general more... picture. Yeah. yeah. Plus, Endgame is very much more obviously a commodity. I know Black Panther also was a commodity, but that's not the first thing you think of. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, best case scenario yeah. for Avengers Endgame and Oscar is several craft nominations. I think yeah. if they do what they did with. Um, I mean, we mentioned this earlier with The Lion King. I think if they do what they did with Age of Ultron and they just really go for getting that visual effects win, Mm -hmm. they potentially could with Endgame. These next two questions sort of hover around the same general idea, so we'll we'll tackle them both at once. Marina Herrera-Heinz asks us about, um, in the past decade, there's been a lot made of the fluctuating number of Best Picture nominees. Are there any other categories which should be expanded to include more nominees? Are there categories that we would like to add to the Oscars? And then 
Brittany asks us if we had the power to create one new awards category for the Oscars, what would it be? My answer for this both is the same, which is add an ensemble category like the SAGs have. Absolutely. Give it to the casting director and, you know, whatever, however you determine what the ensemble is, but, or just give it to the casting director and then the ensemble can go up, you know, with them. If you, if you're weirded out about like actors winning Oscars, being an act, an Oscar winning actor for being part mm-hmm. of the ensemble. Do you know what I mean? If you don't want to like yeah. muck up the record books that way, then just, then that award is just given to the casting director. Like foreign language film was just given to the country. Do you know what I mean? Do it that yeah. way. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. As far as expanding other categories, you see I'm that with the it. Emmys. I, I'm against it too. Um, just because you see that with the Emmys, because there is so, in the past decade, there has been such a massive explosion in the amount of content that's out there. So it's about creating, I guess, kind of a fairer space to get more shows nominated instead right. of the same five shows all the time. And right. maybe some of that would be true for the Oscars, but there's not. There's definitely a lot more movies being made, but I don't think on the level that you see with the Emmys I think television. With the, yes, I think with television, the thing is that the expansion of television not only meant more television shows overall, but more quality television shows overall. And like, yeah. that's a subjective assessment, but I think it's a pretty easy subjective assessment to make. Whereas you look at movies, there's a lot more movies these days, but I don't think you could say that the number of quality movies has increased at by the same exponent that... that TV shows have. It's also like a question of like source. Where is it coming from? Whereas in there was an explosion of places that are actually producing more television, whereas it doesn't feel like that with film. There is distributors closing all the time, Mm -hmm. even though we have Netflix and even Hulu doing movies that are theatrically released. It's I don't think it's apples to apples to apples. I don't think Um, so. In terms of a new awards category, I like the idea of an ensemble one. I don't I'm not as behind it with casting, too. I think it's just going to be another category that's going to match Best Picture. Um, There's a lot of headway being made this year for a stunt category, and I would be fully behind a stunt category. Yeah, sure. That's fine. It's a major major craft and a major... uh, factor of what goes into modern movie making. And it's a good way for them to get popular movies into the Oscars without having to like bastardize their entire, you know, ethos. So, yeah. yes. Next All right. Question. This is kind of an open question from Adrian. Would love to hear you discuss your predictions for the upcoming Best Actress Oscar race. Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Race. Best Supporting Actress. I apologize. I, I think this is an interesting like category. It's... It's but interesting. This... It, I, it's the type of thing that it feels thinner now, but I bet once the yes. festival season is over, it is going to completely take shape. And it the could supporting be the kind categories of... always feel that way. Yeah, it's tough to know what's. It's tough to know what small performances from movies are going to bubble up. It's tough to know what performances we think our leads are going to be bounced down to supporting. I think one that. There's still some question of category. It could be a lead. It could be supporting. But that I've been hollering about at the top of my lungs is I want this to be the year Jennifer Lopez wins an Oscar. And Hustlers is the movie for it. We've heard nothing but great things. By the time you hear this, even more people will have seen Hustlers. This will be the week that the movie opens. From the people that I've talked to that have seen it, they say that it is supporting. And if you've read the original article, the protagonist of that article is the Constance Wu character. Can I also say... And the Jennifer Lopez character falls off. Props to Jessica Pressler and her people for getting an on-screen credit in the fucking trailer. 
for her as the author of that art that article yep. that the movie was based on. When do you ever see that? That's amazing. It's anyway, awesome. It's We're great. very excited for Hustlers. We are very, very anticipatory and keeping all of our fingers and crows to- toes crossed for Jennifer Lopez. I honestly think it would be one of the great Oscar narratives this year, especially if some of the other Oscar narratives this year are going to be Eddie Murphy and maybe Joaquin Phoenix and maybe Adam Sandler. I would at least like the fact that my gay ass is going to be able to stan Jennifer Lopez while, you know, Eddie it's Murphy a, finally she's such a deserving whatever. screen legend, industry legend narrative. Like people, and she's don't been so undervalued for so deserves. long. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. exactly. I think finally getting her due. I think other names that I would throw out there that I have my eye on for supporting actress this year. Um, I'm a little unsure about this buzz for Laura Dern in Marriage Story, just because. She How wasn't in the, the trailer. Role. Right. And she's playing a yeah. lawyer. And I hear that she has moments and it's not just your standard, like boring lawyer performance, but it's still, I wonder how much that movie she's in. And I wonder that movie seems to already be shaping up as driver and ScarJo, And that's mm-hmm. it, which is plenty. And that's great. Um, I think Annette Benning in the report has been buzzed since Sundance. And, you know, she seemed like one of the lower key performances in the trailer, though. I'm very curious about true. that. Amazon's Amazon's release strategy for that movie, while they're trying something new and they're essentially directly competing with what Netflix's model is, and like Netflix hasn't had a problem doing that. It sa- it feels like a downshift. Yeah. Um, People so are I saying, wonder what they're going to put behind that movie. Yeah. People are saying Margot Robbie for for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which. I see what the narrative of that can be as sort of a redemptive thing from everything that went down at Sundance. I think she's wonderful, but I don't know if how much energy is left for her after you talk about Pitt and DiCaprio. But right. if that's a big Best Picture nominee and it's getting like if it's a huge front runner, then I think it absolutely could wrap her up in that. People are saying I think I just need to stay silent on that movie for a few months in terms of Oscar because I'm. I, maybe I'm crazy, and I know that it's it's a Hollywood narrative. They love to support like their own stories at the Academy, but like I just don't see it. I don't, and I like the movie. Yeah, I do see it. So we'll see which one of us ends up being right. Um, people are talking about Meryl Streep in the laundromat. She's certainly featured in the trailer. Love She's the hat first build in the trailer. That's truly going to have to be like everybody is evenly balanced well and also there's a there's a question that we have later on that i think we're probably going to let's wrap that up in here too william taylor asks about steven soderbergh and whether he'll ever cross oscar's path again i think the laundromat just from watching that trailer feels like it's a fun soderbergh movie sort of like um uh i keep wanting to call it the sisters brothers i couldn't remember it last time either logan lucky um because they could have been the sisters brothers right and the informant, and right. So Fun Soderbergh doesn't ever seem to be Oscar's cup of tea. And I think that's not a bad thing in terms of the quality of the movie. I'm almost more looking forward to The Laundromat now that I know it's Fun Soderbergh. But I don't know how well that bodes for any kind of awards attention, even if it's for Meryl Streep. Although, that'll be the test, right? Like, do they pass over... It's not like they don't ever pass over Meryl Streep, but like... yeah. We'll see. There, there's a lot of time. I mean, about... they could just be as comfortable putting that performance in a lead and still just nominating her. Yes. There's a lot of talk about Bombshell. We, there's so much we don't know about Bombshell. Who's lead? Mm-hmm. Who's supporting? Who's good? Who's bad? Is the movie terrible? Is the movie great? I think 
any possibilities are po- are on the table for that one. I think we should all do well to remember that it's a Jay Roach movie, so like, you know, grain of salt, grain of salt. But there's a lot of actors in there. Two that I think are really good options. I hear good things about Florence Pugh and Little Women. I was going to bring up Florence Pugh as one that I would pencil that in now, I think considering Amy's how getting... Amy dominant that trailer is. Uh-huh, uh-huh, in a way And considering that... the years she's had... Agreed. And also um, Zhao Shuzhen in The Farewell, who is getting yeah. a lot of, like, you know, now that I think, you know, I think that Marina, Marina de Tavira nomination last year broke down some doors, which I know we've had foreign language film supporting nominees before. Mm-hmm. Adriana Barraza, Rico Kikuchi for Babel. But um, I think that having been such a recent nomination, then you can look at The Farewell and just be like, oh, okay, it doesn't just have to be you know, Aquafina because she's the most English language friendly. It's also, that is such an emotional pick for people that Mm -hmm. performance specifically people graft a lot. I mean, like I'm one of them. I like, I haven't sobbed in public. Like I did leaving that movie in a very long time. Um, But like you can, people, when they vote for her, they are grafting a certain emotional response onto it. And like, I think that's why she has a really good shot. Like it's, you know, a, por- a performance that people can channel all of their feelings through that performance and supporting that performance. Agreed. Um, I would also say, and like this goes back to some of our Emmy conversation, and I say this in like, I don't want to say hissing, uh-oh. but Maggie Smith in Downton Abbey <laughs> is something we should all just, even if it, maybe it won't happen, I don't but we should all be prepared happen. for it to happen. I don't know. I don't know. I think Oscar voters are different than Emmy voters, is what I would say to that. I, I completely agree, but, like, it's... Mm, okay. I, 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 I just... I wonder. I wonder. All right, so... A couple t- question marks. I would also say Janelle Monet and Harriet feels like a question mark. I wonder about um, Thomason McKenzie in Jojo Rabbit, considering the, like, built buzz that she had last year for Leave No Trace. I think at some point... Jojo Rabbit becomes that Simpsons episode with Mr. Burns where he goes to the doctor (laughs) and he's like, you have all the diseases, but none of them are affecting you because they're all trying to cram through the doorway at the same time. I think that's sort of like with Jojo Rabbit. It's just like, oh, all these people are in this movie. All these people have possibility. And like, it makes it harder for one to break through. That is fair. But... Speaking of large ensembles, and maybe it's hard for people to break through, the one that I would also hesitantly pencil in, the name we have not invoked in this entire episode, shockingly, Cats. I think (laughs) old Denturonomy could fully be a thing that just happens. I would love it. I would love it. Next question. I have a, uh, from Brett Holcomb. I have long been obsessed with author Donna Tartt and actress Nicole Kidman, so when I heard about the upcoming adaptation of The Goldfinch, I had to pinch myself. If you could get a movie made of one of your favorite books starring your choice actor, which story would you tell and which actor would you choose? I, of course, famously don't read books. So Chris, this question is all for you. <laughs> okay, so I have two answers. I love the book. I love Jess Walter's um, Beautiful Ruins, which at one point Todd Haynes was trying to do. It has a lot of like cinema history. It deals with the making of Cleopatra in like a fan fiction kind of way, but it's a beautiful book. I think Jessica Chastain would kill that role. Um, and also it's still shocking to me, especially in the era of limited series that we haven't had an Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. 
um, which Stephen Daldry was trying to do yeah, for years. Yeah, that is, that's very true. Um, so those are my two answers. Yeah, those are good ones. I agree with that. Cavalier and Clay. My favorite be, books. That seems, it seemed like it was in the works for HBO for a while, too, and that seems like the with perfect Daltrey, spot with Stephen Daldry, yeah. It. And right. I think it was Andrew Garfield attached. That's a good casting. That could be wrong. I like that. Um, now we're going into questions about Thob lore, which is interesting. Um, that sounds like nonsense words. So just, you know, <laughs> questions about our podcast and more meta stuff, which we always appreciate. This one comes from the lovely and talented Cameron Sheets. Hey, Cam. He asks deeply, he says, deeply fascinated by the fact that the main cast of Hairspray, all featured on the poster, have the movie in their IMDb top four. He's, he says, I'm curious about your thoughts on why Hairspray has this kind of power and whether or not any films share this distinction. I don't think I have a good answer for the first, but I do have a good answer for the second one. Do you have a good answer as to why? As to why it does? I don't know. I mean, like, is it on Freeform or something a lot lately? <laughs> I don't know. I think the poster probably does help. I also think... yeah. I also think that the fact that it's a musical helps, which sort of goes into my answer to this, which is the entire cast of Chicago has it in their IMDb. It's not yeah. only Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Richard Gere, it's on Tay Diggs, Dominic John C. West, Riley. John C. Riley, Queen Latifah, Christine Baranski, it's on hers, it's on Lucy Liu's, it's on Maya's. It's on Cheetah Rivera. Why would it ever be on Maya's? I don't know. Like, it's on everybody. So, like, if you were in Chicago... You... I think it's because everybody in Chicago, this doesn't reflect on Hairspray, I don't think, but everybody in Chicago is famous for Chicago. I don't know if I would say uh, Christine Baranski is famous for Chicago. Yeah, but like the main cast, like main cast, Queen definitely. Latifah. Absolutely. That all makes sense to me. But like, the, it's the rest of them where I'm just like, wow, Tay Diggs, Christine Baranski, Lucy Liu, Cheetah Rivera. I'm like, that's all wild to me. But, you know, fun. I like that. I like that's a yeah. good little uh, footnote. Phil Carroll asks, aside from the obvious Claire Danes, who other actresses or actors would you say is that this had Oscar buzz all-star or potentially be one in the future? I think recently with our Vanity Fair episode, we have discovered that Eileen Atkins is one of them. That's true. We do love Eileen Atkins. I think that's a great answer. That's my answer I think, as well. Yeah, that's probably my answer. Aside from like the super famous ones who are like always in these type of movies like Robert Redford. Our answer is Eileen Atkins. Excellent. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Mackenzie Greer, who asks about the IMDb game. Did you guys come up with it on your own? Do you ever play when you're off the air over drinks? The First of all, the answer to the second question is yes, absolutely. I have played IMDb game a bunch of times. This was a game I don't... When I say I came up with IMDb game, I'm not saying that nobody else has also come up with an IMDb game. It's one of those things that, like it sort of suggests itself once you see that there's, you know, four movies in a box for every actor. It's fun to make people try and guess that stuff. It's also why that, like, guessing, you know, who was nominated in a certain year is also a fun little guessing game. But so my friend Sarah and I were at a bar one afternoon, sort of enjoying the the happy hour and having some drinks and futzing around on my phone. And I just sort of started asking her, who do you think, who do you think, or what do you think the top four movies for X actor are? And so we got into playing the game and that's where I came up with the rules about like two strikes and then you get hints and that whole thing. And 
we really had a lot of fun with it. And then I sort of started introducing it to my movie friends. It was just like, you know, Katie, Rich, who's been on the show, David Sims has been on the show, um, Richard Lawson, all, you know, every once, whenever we would be out at a bar. And there was a few nights where it would just be kind of this massive circle of us have just been like me and Katie and Matt Patches and, you know, Cater Bland and whoever was around all just sort of like asking each other IMDb game questions. And so it sort of became a thing. So then once we did, you know, came up with a podcast idea, I was like, I wanted to have a game. And this one, you know, my other great creation besides this on Oscar <laughs> Buzz was this version of the IMDb game. So I know also, I think... This might also be like a thing close to what Doug Benson does on his movie podcast. He has the Leonard Malton game, which is also a different thing, which is actually a super fun game that I get very oh. frustrated by when I listen to that podcast because not everybody takes the rules seriously. What but is the Leonard Malton game? You go, do you know, remember those Leonard Malton books? Which, yes, we've talked about this. We both had them. <laughs> so, um, you open up a Leonard Malton book to a movie. And you don't give the, the movie title is secret, but you give the, I think you give the rating of the movie and maybe the, a non-spoilery review. Plot description. And (laughs) then you start reading and then you play it like name that tune where you do, you know, you bargain how many, how few names of actors you would need to guess it. And then they start reading the cast list from the bottom up. Oh my God. I'm going to buy a Leonard Malton book and I'm coming to toronto good we'll play it with in toronto it'll be super fun yeah okay all right next question is from callum o'brien i love this question uh can i request that you address the fact that glenn close (laughs) doesn't have an imdb top four um it is fully shot glenn we've come across a couple performers that have had this like mark strong bryce dallas howard um, don't have a full known for, but Glenn Close is completely shocking that the only known for title is Fatal Attraction, which frankly, if you're going to be known for one thing, why not be Fatal Attraction? But like she has multiple Oscar nominations. She's been in Disney movies. She's been in the MCU. It's and she's it's fully not. famous, but like she only has one. So my theory, I don't know. Is... Everybody, look up her other movies that are not Fatal Attraction on Mass, so that we can get her a known for. My theory is: remember that one Harry Potter movie towards the end, where Dumbledore goes looking for the Horcrux, and he like went to touch the ring in the pool of water and his hand started shriveling up and like that's how he was like slowly dying was like his hand was going to shrivel and then his arm and then the rest of him which is why he ended up like just laughing at where you could potentially be going so like my thing is like glenn close at this point is so cursed with like the oscar thing and whatever that like everything she touches just starts to reduce and shrivel and like Started with, first of all, did you know that the last movie I ever saw at the Paris Theater, which just closed in New York City, was The Wife? Oh, That's the curse. The second part of the curse is that she used to have maybe four uh, known fours in IMDb, and now it's down to only one because everything is is dying on the vine with Glenn. Oi. We don't want that for her as no. much as I hated The Wife. I didn't even know what I did. I hated The Wife. I liked her performance in The Wife. We've talked about Louis. this. Friend and former guest Nate Jones asks, what past Best Picture winner feels the most like a Thob movie? I mean, we've spent a lot of airtime re-litigating Green Book, but it's Green Book. 
Green Book is is probably the answer. I would also say the King's Speech has a lot of the ingredients. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of stuffy. I'm, I'm not as down on King's Speech the way that other people are, but like, yes, I see your argument. I think, but I just think on paper. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah. like... I mean, I think that, a lot of stuff from the '80s and '90s feels like uh, this had Oscar buzz. Maybe. Well, yeah, that is for sure. We're like, I mean, Amadeus kind of does. Out of Africa, kind of does. The Last Emperor of today would does. fully only get like a Best yeah. Art Direction nomination. Right. That's true. That's very true. Um, honestly, Million Dollar Baby, kind of. Yeah, I could see Million Dollar Baby and Crash. Actually, maybe Crash is the best answer. But Crash kind of, like, stealthily got through. It feels like a This Had Oscar Buzz movie because so many other movies have tried to emulate it to That's true. A big part of the, the a, a big part of the This Had Oscar Buzz thing is you got such, like, huge initial buzz. Mm-hmm. And it, like, yeah, what got a lot of initial buzz? And then, like, Birdman kind of. Birdman maybe fits that, where it's, like... Birdman's you get a lot of weird for it though. But man. that's what I mean. Birdman is the kind of movie where you like a year ahead, you're just like, oh, and you read who's making a movie about an actor, let's pencil it in. And then you yeah. watch it and it's just like this movie's way too weird. How did we ever think this was gonna get nominated? And then it still did. Hey. I don't know. Well, to wrap it up, we have an extended question that a quite a few people also asked for they want our uh oscar ballot for the top categories um based on previous episodes yes so of the field of movies that we have covered on this head oscar buzz which would be our choices for best picture best actor actress supporting actor supporting actress this especially was... because we're running long we're just going to do the acting categories and best picture if it's a five best picture yeah. lineup this was just to save some time super fun to come up with and i really really enjoyed doing this much more so than i even initially thought i would chris perhaps a few of these would make my ballot even. we both had the same problem again surprise surprise we had way more actor or we may have more way more actress and supporting actress possibilities than we did actor and supporting actor so let's start on the thin side chris who were your five nominees for supporting actor from the this had oscar buzz field the supporting actor category, which we have dubbed the Hillary Van Wetter supporting <laughs> actor category, my five from this Had Oscar Buzz episodes are Alec Baldwin and It's Complicated. This one that I really don't want to put there, but I put it there. Ansel Elgort for Men, Women, and Children. I forgot about him. I should have done that. Because I didn't want to put Men, Women, and Children on there. Uh-huh. Um, Next one, possibly controversial. I don't know how you feel about this. I put James Gandolfini for Where the Wild Things Are uh-huh. for a voice performance. Noah Jupe for Suburbicon. And Rick Springfield for Ricky and the Flash. These are really good picks, Chris. I'm very proud of you. Almost what are your five? My five are, we're going to do this in alphabetical order, as is, of course, required by the Oscars. So my very first one is the only point of... Uh, matching with you, I also said James Gandolfini for Where the Wild Things Are. I think that's yeah. a great voice performance, and we can be we can be daring and brave. I also said Ryan Gosling in Crazy Stupid Love, Gene Hackman in Get Shorty, Good Mark Ruffalo in In the Cut, and Wentworth Miller in The Human Sting. Interesting choices. Who wins your Hillary Van Wetter Prize? I think I give it to Ryan Gosling in Crazy Stupid Love. I give it to Gandolfini. 
Yeah, that was he was, that was my second choice. That's very very good one. All right, awesome. I will start with supporting actress. This one I will supporting say supporting actress, the for, the Fania Farley supporting actress prize. Fania Farley Memorial supporting actress category. This was the one that had most unnominated uh runners up that I had to really cut. I had to be somewhat ruthless. Yeah, this this was yeah, hard. This was very tough. I think alphabetically first is the was the probably the one that just made the cut, Marsha Gay Harden for Meet Joe Black. Interesting. Who I love oh, really. She's good in that movie. That's she's really good in that movie. movie. Just I will. I will say. Um, well, I'll say my runners up after. Um, after you do yours. Also, Rachel McAdams in uh, the Family Stone. Excellent Aud- choice. Audra McDonald in Ricky and the Flash. Brittany Murphy in Riding in Cars with Boys, and Anna Devere Smith for The Human Stain. Okay, so we thought that we would have more overlap. We only overlapped two, and they are my last two. So I will go through them, okay. through mine. The Lady Chablis for Midnight in the Garden uh, of Evil. Can't believe I forgot The Lady Chablis. It's one of our early episodes, but I like I love that performance. Uh, Rosario Dawson in Rent. Oh, good one. Nicole Kidman in The Paperboy. I went yeah, there. Yeah. And then my two that we overlap, Brittany Murphy in Riding in Cars with Boys She's and great. Anna DeVere Smith in The Human Stain. They're both really great. Lot of Who's great, your winner? A lot of great runners up. My winner is probably Brittany Murphy. My winner is Brittany Murphy. She's so great in that. Audra was a contender, but um, ultimately that's Brittany Murphy. Um, runners up, Sharon Stone in Bobby, Nicole in The Paperboy yeah. I had. Um Angelina Jolie and Alexander, who was so amazing. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver in the Ice Storm. Sigourney Weaver was one of my runners. Maggie up. Gyllenhaal and Mona Lisa Smile, and especially Roma Mafia in Double Jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Why don't Hell you? Yeah. Why don't Rachel you? Rachel McAdams was one of my runners up too. Yeah. Why don't you? The, lead with moving actor? on to. Hold on. Moving on to the Einar Gilkison Best Actor Award, named after Robert Redford in An Unfinished Life. My ballot is Jeff Bridges in The Door on the Floor, Jake Gyllenhaal in Love and Other Drugs, Kevin Kline in The Ice Storm, Mark Ruffalo in In the Cut. We are divided on the category. I see. And John Travolta in Get Shorty. Okay, we have a little bit more overlap here. I have Jeff Bridges in The Door on the Floor... Jake Gyllenhaal and Brothers, uh, Max Records in Where the Wild Things Are, John Travolta in Get Shorty, and Denzel Washington in Courage Under Fire. Yeah. We love Kevin Denzel. Klein was my runner-up for, for The Ice Storm. Interesting. My vote is for Jeff Bridges. Oh, me too. He's Jeff the best Bridges. One, but... We yeah. overlap on two wins. That's exciting. Yeah. Moving on to the main event, even though Best Picture will still be after. <laughs> yeah. The Mirabelle Buttersfield Award for Best Actress. Joseph, tell yes. us your ballot. Uh, Joan Allen for The Ice Storm. Kate Blanchett for Truth. Ashley Judd for Double Jeopardy. Michelle Pfeiffer for Frankie and Johnny. And Meg Ryan for In the Cut. All right, we overlap a little bit here as well. I have Kate Blanchett for Truth, Sarah Jessica Parker for The Family Stone, okay. Michelle Pfeiffer for Frankie and Johnny, Meg Ryan for In the Cut, and Meryl Streep for figured. Ricky and the Flash. Meryl's a runner-up for me, as is Susan Sarandon for Anywhere But Here. Anywhere But Here almost made my best actress for both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very they good. They didn't make it through. And All then right. our best picture is named after our very first episode, the Mona Lisa Smile Best Picture Award. My ballot is The Door on the Floor, The Ice Storm, 
In the Cut, Ricky and the Flash, and Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, we have three of five overlap in this one. Uh, mine are The Door in the Floor, The Ice Storm. Uh, sorry, The Door in the Floor, Get Shorty, The Ice... Wow, my alphabet's really, really bad. Starting, I'm going to start again. Yeah. My five are The Door in the Floor, The Family Stone, Get Shorty, The Ice Storm, and Where the Wild Things Are. Fantastic. My winner would be in the cut. Mine would be where the wild things are. Fantastic. That's our. That's like our Oscar ballot for our this had Oscar buzz movie. I honestly think that's not a. I think that's a. I would be proud to stand by that. Honestly. Yeah. There's some like cool choices in there. Yeah. However, it doesn't like spotlight the episodes that we think the movies are truly terrible so go back have some fun with our old episodes absolutely joseph do you have any final notes for our mailbag episode i mean just again so overwhelmed and thankful that we got so many wonderful questions from you guys um i will and just say- wonderful comments you guys have been incredibly sweet and yeah. we thank you for all of your time and being so generous to us hold on to your questions until that we ask for them the next time don't uh, uh, don't keep sending them to us because we won't have any place to put them so uh yeah. hold on to them we'll call for it again at sometime soon we would love to do another mailbag episode there were some great questions we couldn't get to and thank you all if we couldn't get to you this time um we still very much appreciate you taking the time to write a question and to engage with our episodes and i don't know this is we're we're in as we record this we're uh, i'm about to head out to toronto basically in a couple days for the film festival which is like my favorite time of the year so we're getting here it's oscar season it's it feels like we're you know it's finally time it's our time so yay it'll be fun thank you guys so much that is our episode if you want more this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscarbuzz.tumblr.com please also follow us on twitter at had underscore oscar underscore buzz once again we are currently at the toronto international film festival please follow us online um, so you can get our takes on the films we are seeing joseph where should listeners go to to be able to do that for you i do feel like lucy with the football at this point promising you that i'll have my letterboxed up and running and ready for TIFF. I'm really going to try and do that on the train back uh, to Buffalo tomorrow. I think I might try and rehab my poor, sad letterbox, which has been so neglected for all this year. Uh, You can find me there at... Joe, or the my username there is Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D, and that's the same as my Twitter handle, which is at Joe Reed, R-E-I-D is how you spell that. I am also on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. I'm on Letterboxd at the same name, and I will also be covering TIFF for the film experience. Yay. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility, so please don't be a bunch of Zionist hoodlums and be our ham schmish. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz sorry marvin everyone's a winner baby that's no lie that's no lie you never fail to satisfy satisfy